You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Bob Adiansky, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Transformers Episode 3, covering a period of the Transformers from 1987 to 1988. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Transformers host, Peter Haw. And I, I just want to say right off the bat that if you are listening to these episodes in numerical order, you should actually stop listening right now and listen to our Episode 7 before you listen to this one, because episode seven covers the Transformers miniseries, G.I. Joe and Transformers, and the Headmasters. And the, that, especially the Headmasters, is essential reading before reading this volume. Wouldn't you agree with that? Uh, yeah, you can get away with not reading it, but it really, I, when I was a kid, I read the, these issues first. And they do give a bit of a synopsis of what's happening, but still it was kind of shocking to see these new characters come out of nowhere. So if you want the backstory, you definitely should read the, the miniseries first. Yeah, I, I would say that it's definitely essential. There, Well, now that I'm thinking about it, there is some stuff that would benefit from you being more emotionally invested in the characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, in that last issue in this volume in particular, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. So, and, and furthermore... The, the way that they unfold the story in that miniseries fits in sort of perfectly with what Bob Budiansky is doing in the regular continuity in, in these regular issues here. Like, they, they dovetail really nicely together. In fact, these last few issues of this volume, he starts to ramp up several moving storylines... Yeah, yeah. And they all kind of converge together with the Headmasters, and you really need to, to read the Headmasters miniseries, I think. So uh, that's your warning. I think you should shut off this podcast right now if you haven't listened to our episode seven. And if you haven't read Headmasters, go and do that, and then come back and listen to us talk about this volume, volume three. And which issues, Peter, are we going to be talking about in this, in this episode? So we are talking about a period of one year. That's March 1987, issue number 26, all the way to the following year, March 1988, issue number 38. That is 12 issues. This is coming up to, it's leading up to the end of Bob Budiansky's run. He, he doesn't last much more than past issue 50. So the next volume issue, or so the next volume, volume four, is sort of his, the climax of all of the stuff that he's been building up to. And up until this point in the Transformers books, it's been fairly, you know, um, it's not serialized storytelling. It's kind of one issue tells one story it's it's over and it's finished in one issue maybe there are some subplots that carry through to the next issue but for the most part these issues are self-contained this is where it starts to really kind of ramp up i think yes they go from being very childlike to sometimes very serious and ominous and i think towards the end of this 
this volume, it gets quite serious. So even the issues that have little kids involved, yeah, they're actually those were some of my favorite issues in this book. <laughs> and I don't know if you agree with that, but we can talk about that when we get into those issues. There, I was a different age when I read these comics, so reading it again, it re- I felt like a kid again. I don't know if I see the ridiculousness if I saw these with fresh eyes. I don't know, because you, you, you're I, seeing them this, with fresh eyes, fresh so I don't eyes. know how, how you feel about there it. There are definitely some absolutely ridiculous, like why on earth is Blaster letting these kids go fly into outer space? See, I didn't question that. It's yeah. funny, because I, I, that issue, <laughs> when we get to it, I'll mention it, but a couple of the issues here are the ones that I've, for you listeners who've listened to our other podcasts, you know that I've been reading, I've had a bunch of these in the monthly format when I was a kid, uh, and some of these comics were the first ones I started to read with, and so... At that age, which I'd be about four or five years old, they weren't ridiculous to me. Yeah. They weren't outrageous. They were just cool. Of course. And now that I'm older, I know they're ridiculous, but I don't, I remember what it was like to think they were cool and not be so critical of it. I don't think anybody should read these comics trying to take them completely seriously. Oh, that's the other thing too. And, and I, I think we've, we've mentioned this before, like these come from a time when comics were, I feel like were a lot more innocent. Like yeah. they're not, they mm-hmm. just want to tell good stories. And even if they seem ridiculous, I think the, the writers know that they're, they're ridiculous. They're, they're oh, not, sure. they're, they're obviously not delusional. And he's also right? writing for a younger crowd, like yeah. purposely, because he, especially with Transformers, even more than X-Men or Spider-Man, this is to sell toys. Yeah. And so. At a very young age demographic. Yeah. Too, the so. writers and the editors are definitely skewing these stories for a younger group. Uh, but it just so happens that we were the younger group. And we are still reading these comics now that we're like almost 40 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Good Lord. Oh, man. Before we jump into the issues, I have some comments from Facebook and from Instagram that I want to uh, share with everybody here. Uh, I just asked for general comments about this volume. What did you think of it? Mark42Smith on Instagram says, A bunch of wacky, fun adventures, but also some of the most skippable issues by far, unfortunately. Uh, I would agree with that. The Headmasters issue at the end is amazing. I love the Scraplets storyline. I had those issues when I was a kid. I loved the Scraplets storyline. Some of the artwork, too. But I I do agree with some of the totally skippable ones. Like, some of those stories are... Meh. Yep, and we'll definitely get into that. When but there's meh the in the first two volumes too. So, oh, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I I feel like there is more miss on this volume than the first two for sure. But there is also some gold in here. So okay. Uh, Will on Facebook, Will says this is an interesting era of Transformers, especially with the two leaders, Optimus and Megatron, dead. The Autobots had a fun leader in Grimlock, although Blaster would disagree. This run has a story that the guy that manages my store, a comic shop, and I always talk about the car wash of doom, only in comics. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to rip that issue apart when we get to it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, oh, don't worry about the car wash of doom. Huh. Well, I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> um, I also had a Twitter poll running, and I, my question was, in Transformers number 27, after the death of Optimus Prime, Grimlock was made Autobot leader. Did you like this decision? Uh, if not, leave a comment with your choice for Autobot leader, keeping in mind the Autobots of the time. And so 13% of the votes said that they loved Grimlock as leader, 
87% of the votes said they hated Grimlock as leader. And we got one additional comment from an account called Let's Talk New Warriors saying, I feel like it was played a little too goofy. I wish Blaster was made the leader. And then another guy named Gavin says, I went with hated. I didn't like the way that Grimlock was portrayed as a dick, mostly to make Blaster look good. His later stint as leader in issues 76 to 80 was much better. He was still a dick, mostly to Prowl, but he was a lovable dick. Yeah, no, I agree with that. See, there's a lot of lore. Um, if I was reading this, these comics without knowing any history or backstory, if, I, if this is the current issue and I'm reading for the first time, yeah, I would not like Grimlock. Oh, I didn't at all. You don't like him at I all? I don't like him at all. When you read more like origin stuff later on and when you yeah. see stuff that he does later on, especially the, I, I think the UK is where a lot of people who, lo- who love Grimlock, they love his leadership style. Okay. Um, and we can talk more about that later, but just so you guys know, I think... Uh, the UK had a huge influence on making Grimlock leader because he is not, he's flawed. He's not like Optimus. And I think that's one of the reasons why they keep getting rid of Optimus is (laughs) because he's boring. Right. Yeah. He is boring. Like you, it's like, it's kind of like writing for Superman. You can't, the whole point of the, he doesn't have a hero's journey is what I'm saying for, for Optimus Prime. He's already as good as he can possibly be. Right. Right. And that's why he's the most boring character to write about. But Grimlock (laughs) on the land is a complete screw up who has the ability to be great. And I think later on, he gets to showcase that. But right now, in the meantime, especially if you're a kid and you don't quite understand the hero's journey, yeah, you just hate Grimlock. Well, I mean, I understand the hero's journey, but there's not even any signs. No, that's like, what I'm saying. I'm saying he is uh, a complete uh, a, pl- a plot device. He's a plot device. Absolutely. Issues, yeah, yeah. Like completely. That's nothing, what I'm saying. Like if, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I was reading this for the first time and this is all I knew about Grimlock being leader, yeah, obviously he's a joke. He's, yeah. He's just there to be yeah. the foil. I, I can only say, please, you know, hold on to your seats because yeah. Grimlock becomes awesome later. But okay. you, you, yeah, and well, yeah. neither here nor there, right? And I know that Grimlock is a favorite of many, many people. But this issue, or this 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 volume, definitely doesn't show that side of him. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Well, let's start at the very beginning of this book. We're going to start with issue number 26, called Funeral for a Friend. Now, if we if we remember at the very end of issue number two, Optimus was <laughs> killed inside a video game. <laughs> it was a sort of a pretty lame end to Optimus Prime. He kind of gave himself up to, which was kind of stupid. But yeah, so he he's gone. And we've already talked about G.I. Joe and Transformers, where we've already seen the funeral for Optimus Prime. But this kind of goes into the, into the funeral in more detail, which makes sense because this is the, the, the ongoing series. So I was trying to compare the funeral from this issue with the G.I. Joe issue to see yeah. if they like contradict each other at all. And they wrote it in such a way that, no, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be perfect, but yeah. Yeah, um, it's kind of from the perspective of a different person, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in this issue, we have a, a new villain called the Mechanic. Um, in this one, Ratchet is forced to reveal his identity to a human car thief who follows him to the Ark in hopes to control them all. And this new human car thief is this guy named the Mechanic, who takes a whole bunch of Transformers tech and uses it for himself. The issue, in general, is kind of so-so. 
But I think that Bob Budiansky does a really good job of tying the A and the B stories together because it seems like they're going to be so separate with the funeral and then the mechanic, but then actually they actually complement each other. The things that happen in the, with the funeral, like putting up the barrier in front of the ark and all that kind of stuff. Um, like it has, There's it a lot of pieces has, that are set up and, and then and they weave together really they well. They weave together really, really well. There's the, the the payoff for each of the things actually happens. None of the, the stuff in there is done for for you know no reason. Which when you have an episode or when you have an issue that is all about just a funeral, it can be kind of a filler kind of issue. Yeah. But but this one isn't that that way at all. They do something on page eight that I haven't seen in a while, and that's the roll call. Oh yeah. They don't you know no one does it equips anymore. It's just straight up. Here's who's still alive. <laughs> yeah. And I found this really useful because, honestly, I have had a lot of trouble tracking who's dead. Yes. And at one point, too, I was like, why is Blaster here? I thought Circuit Breaker had his carcass. I remember we, had, we talked about this last time, and I went back to look at issue two again. And it does happen off-panel. Circuit Breaker says she's going to give all the, 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 her trophies back to the Autobots. Right. And, you know, like all their decapitated heads are given back. <laughs> and, so, and so, of course, you know, Ratchet can fix them. But some of the other Autobots who I can't, like, like there's a part later on where Prowl is in sickbay. And I'm, I, I was going through my issues trying to find out when the heck did Prowl end up there? Like, <laughs> right. Well, there, and, and is it in, in this issue? Yeah, it is this issue where Ratchet has everybody, like all of the parts of the Autobots that he can't repair in like morgue type pullout drawers. I think for our next uh our next podcast, I'm gonna have to like make a some kind of grid system of all the Transformers names and the dates on which they die <laughs> and get rebuilt. Cause I I'm losing. You're gonna track have to because of- in the next volume, there's some major, major culling of the crew. Oh, oh no no <laughs> that 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 the infamous uh is is that the is that the underwater sea base? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, oh that's man, one. that's it's coming up. Yeah, no, I know. I haven't read it, but I know about that you one. You know about that one? Yeah, yeah, that's... Oh, man. Yeah, so I was like... So anyway, the roll call is actually useful because we haven't actually been able to keep track of who is alive and who is doing what yeah. for a while. And so it's kind of nice being able to see the names of who is still alive. I will say, though, that there are probably only about five Transformers that you really need to pay attention to True. In, this, in this whole book. All of the other ones, they come and go. You see them, they don't see them, whatever. It's really just Goldbug and Blaster, Wheeljack, Ratchet, and Grimlock. Yeah. And that's about it for the Autobots. More or less. I mean, obviously those are characters, but yeah, you're right. In terms of, like, really Blaster is a major... As long as you can, you know those names and can actually place those those names with, like, the figure... Then you're fine. Yeah. All of the other ones, it doesn't even matter if you know their names or not. It really doesn't. When we first did Volume 2, and I had mentioned that was the only real story that had Blaster in it, I don't know why I totally forgot about how much he appears later on. <laughs> yeah. Like, especially the Scrapless episode. Like, I love, oh, yeah. I love that story arc. But anyway, I feel like, oh man, Blaster's everywhere. <laughs> He's here for a bit. And I love Blaster. He's probably my favorite Autobot. In, in, the, in these first few volumes because uh, he's kind of the, not quite the anti-hero, mm-hmm. but he's definitely the rogue good guy. I mean, he starts, anyway, he's my favorite Autobot in the yeah. series first yeah, few yeah, volumes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I he's like great. being able to see him again. Um, other than that, this first issue, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I, I know this is kind of a sidetrack thing, but like The Dark Knight, the film, 
I love the Joker. He's evil, mm-hmm. but I, I like him as a character. I enjoy listening to him talk yeah. and just being on the screen. He's a major presence. And I'm thinking about this, like, how many villains do you actually like? There's a lot of villains these days I can think of, like, they're just fascinating, right? Especially Batman's Loki villains. Loki and, right? yeah. Like, they, they are far more, sometimes they're far more interesting than protagonists. Well, that's Batman's thing for, altogether. For sure, that's but, Batman's, that's, that's one of the problems with Batman movies is that they usually overshadow Batman. Well, in the comics, in the TV show, right. everything, yeah. But in this, every human villain <laughs> I absolutely hate. <laughs> I don't like them at all. I do. I find them annoying. I'm like, I I I just do not like them. I don't well, enjoy anything they say. And this mechanic, he's a good villain in the sense that he is an obstacle for the Autobots to overcome. Yep. But, but I do not like it. him. No. And I was surprised that he even came back l- later on in this volume. Oh man! Like you think one issue? Oh, he's one and done. Yep. Please. And he keeps showing up. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. Come on, guys. Come on with something better than this. Well, it's not like the the Decepticons are any more interesting. I mean, pretty soon we're going to get Ratbat, who is like... Yeah, he, like he's an accountant. Of, he assumes control of the Decepticons or something. Like, he's calling the shots. And he's just not interesting either. But he's a Transformer, and he can turn into a cassette. This guy is just a person I see down in my garage. <laughs> and I don't find it interesting at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's just, I, I find him so annoying. Yep, I know. If it weren't for the fact, like I, I'm, like I said, this the the writing, the the structure of this issue is excellent, but the villain's terrible and the story is meh. So, uh, it's it, it's unfortunate. <laughs> if you're reading along with this, uh, basically uh, this mechanic guy who's just a car, a, a chop shop guy who, I guess he steal, he gets cars stolen, and he and he and he fixes them and whatever. He finds out about the Autobots. And he breaks into the Ark, and he manages to steal some of the uh, some of Ratchet's tech. So like his his scalpel, and he's got an assistant that looks like Inigo Montoya. <laughs> <laughs> and then he takes this lever, this special tool that Ratchet uses that allows him to have essentially superhuman strength. It looks like a giant crescent wrench. Yeah, that confused me at first because I didn't realize that it was anything special. Uh, until like he starts lifting up the stuff. I'm like, what the heck is going on? I had to like backtrack to figure out why why is he able to lift that huge piece of machinery just like yeah like nothing. Yeah, no, it's uh yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I don't think we need to spend any no, more time on these lame issues. So uh, why don't we move on to issue number twenty seven? Oh man, Trypticon, Trypticon is on the cover. Trypticon was one of the first Titans. They, they consider them, sorry, these days, Omega Supreme is considered to be what we call in Transformers universe, a Titan. Okay. Uh, essentially a gigantic city-sized robot. Yep. But back in the day, he wasn't as much, but Metroplex and Trypticon were considered Titans. Um, and Trypticon is just this giant uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex Decepticon who transforms into a battle station and I guess like a little military base. And he's on the cover. Yep. I, I just found that ridiculous. I, 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 all of these ones that turn into bases, it's like, I'm a big giant dinosaur. I'm going to turn into a base and then just sit there and do nothing. <laughs> well, <laughs> he, he just, yeah. I mean, he's got his guns and whatever, but it's like, that's where I really feel reading this as an adult. It's like, oh man, they're really shoehorning the toy into this. Yeah. 
Because I wouldn't have a problem if it was just a big giant robot dinosaur. But the fact that it's a, <laughs> a, a command station or battle station, whatever. The other thing I find frustrating too is that okay, I think we're actually quite good for now. Now we're getting into the next generation of Transformers. You have to understand, Kurt. At first, all the Transformers turned into things you recognize. So like cars you see in the street, okay. planes, yep. cassette players, etc. Triptychon is one of the first Transformers that turns into nothing. Oh. Like, he turns into a base, sure. But Sky, Skylinks is like that too, right? Well, no, no, no. Skylinks, Skylinks, he looks like a shuttle. Right. Oh, yeah, okay. What well, I'm saying no, is this guy looks like a dinosaur. He looks like a dinosaur, but his alt mode, which is the base, it just looks like a bunch of pieces. It doesn't have an earthly shape. Okay, you understand I what I mean? Like, yep. you mm-hmm. could have just moved a couple arms and said, oh, look, it's a base now. Like, it looked like yeah. a kid literally just made... <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, I do. Right? That's yeah. actually a problem with a lot of the later Transformers because I guess kids got bored of, you know, having a car, a, a, an awesome war machine turn into your dad's station wagon. <laughs> I guess they thought it was annoying. So yeah. right around the movie when they started having the next generation of futuristic Transformers kind of like Hot Rod, Cup, and, and you know, Ultra Magnus, they turn into these Cybertronian-style futuristic vehicles. Yeah. And because they don't have any earthly basis – you could tell with some of the Transformers that they just made up this alternate form. Sure. They just put a, twisted a couple of arms and said, yeah. look, that's a, that's a Cybertronian spaceship <laughs> when it just looks like a deformed robot. Well, right? and that ruins the whole purpose of robots in disguise. Yeah, exactly. You could tell. Like, what, do you, what did you just turn into? That doesn't look like anything. Yeah. Right? It's, 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 anyway, so Triptychon, when he turns into a base, it doesn't look like a base. It just looks like you fold his legs out and he looks like a little... Thing. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. So I was anyway. His dinosaur mode looks pretty cool. His though. dinosaur mode's fine. This splash page where you, the big reveal of Triptychon is just fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love that uh, also that they pitted him versus the Dinobots. Of course, which completely makes sense in the TV show. I don't think they ever. I'm trying to remember off the top because there's a lot of episodes. I don't think they ever fought the Dinobots with Triptychon. Triptychon was always fighting. Metroplex. That okay. was always the two. Because you, yeah, you always put the big guy against the, two, the big yeah, guy. You never. It would have made sense if you had the Dinobots fighting him. But this one serves a purpose too. Now I have to assume that Hasbro calls up Marvel and says, "Hey, we got a new toy, Trypticon." And Bob's like, "Okay, perfect. I want Grimlock to be a leader. This is going to be a good segue into bringing Grimlock into that role, especially since they're both dinosaurs. It actually works pretty nicely. And so in this issue, we have the Dinobots fighting. Triptychon, but only the only reason why they're fighting Triptychon is to for Grimlock to prove his worthiness as someone who can uh, take over the Autobots as leader. There's some great battle sequences in this issue. Uh, Don Perlin is still on art, and I, you know, I haven't been overly impressed with his stuff in this in this book here, but this battle scene between Triptychon and the three. Dino or the four Dinobots or however many they are uh, is very cool. Five. I, I oh five yeah I really like it. I think it's great. No, it's good. It's very good. Okay, so there's a couple of tropes though. We got to get if you're a new listener, just letting you know, we know it's cheesy. We also know that there's a lot of problems with scale. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is a ongoing problem with Transformers. Trypticon is sometimes massive, sometimes he's really small. He's supposed to be a little base. So it, when he's depicted in these pages, he's supposed to be much 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 bigger well you, he would have to be if if he's in base mode then people can like the transformers can go inside of him and they're already huge yeah that, that it, would, it will never make any sense i mean it, it, specifically in the toy like you're not going to be able to have the transformers go into the base the only ones that go in the base are the specifically the the mini the mini robots and they sort of just sit around him 
and so I think is this the first time we see Ratbat in this issue here? Yes, I think it is. And they make him okay. So here's another uh, distinguishing feature for between him and his TV show incarnation. In the TV show, um, Ratbat more or less replaces Laserbeak. Uh, Laserbeak was always Soundwave's number one spy. Um, you know the the Condor flying around, spying on everybody. In later parts of the TV show, Ratbat becomes his main main go to spy. Ratbat's able to actually go much further than Laserbeak and go into places. And anyway, he basically becomes a way better version of Laserbeak. Um, but just like Laserbeak, he doesn't really talk. He's just squeaking like hmm. a bat. Oh, really? And I that's that's what my memory tells me that he did not talk. Now in this though, he is not only not just a he's not a spy anymore. He's like full on some very high official Decepticon in, in charge of fuel yeah like he's he's basically a a glorified accountant and he basically he is now kind of an obstacle for shockwave who is now in command um telling him whether or not a mission deserves to be done or not based on how much fuel is going to be consumed and how much is going to be recovered in the said mission and so he's just kind of yeah, he's corporate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's such. It's such an odd. I have actually a clip of Bob Budiansky talking about Ratbat, so maybe I'll put that uh, in here right now. Ratbat, I fashioned as an accountant. He wasn't much of a warrior. He was an accountant. He wanted to make sure that you know they that there was a, there was enough supply of energon, and they had, you know that the Decepticons had enough to operate, you know, to do whatever they needed to do. He didn't have quite the vision, the overarching tyrannical vision, perhaps as uh, as uh, Megatron did. But uh, I tried, again, I tried to mix in different personalities, and, you know, not have the same main good guy versus the same main bad guy every issue. It would get kind of boring after I did that. The Autobots are having a big discussion about uh, who should be leader, and Grimlock nominates himself. They say no. Then the Dinobots basically watch as Chipticon's about to destroy the Autobots. And they're about to, like, you know, let him. And then at the last time, like, you know what? Let's go, let's go beat Trypticon and show him how awesome we actually are. And then on the basis of Grimlock beating Trypticon, then they think that he displays all the characteristics that they said that he was lacking earlier <laughs> and then make him leader. Bad move, guys. It's like, <laughs> that's not a, the way to run things. I think they were just kind of hurting for a leader. And they're like, quick, anybody, we just need somebody. We don't know what to do. Which is really weird because there are a lot of candidates in there who could have been leader. Yeah. Like Perceptor was leader on Cybertron. Well, Blaster is there. Blaster is Blaster is right there. But they like Blaster too. Um, Well, you know. He's also kind of the new guy. Maybe they don't really know Blaster. Although they don't really know the Dinobots either. Ah, uh, whatever. Okay. Anyway, so that's that issue. Well, I have actually, this is going to be two clips kind of back-to-back from Bob. Um, I have another clip of him talking about why he put Grimlock in charge. Transformers constantly shuffling through characters as Hasbro introduced new characters that had to find ways to get some characters off the stage and add new characters uh, into the into the storyline. So uh, I also wanted to shake things up, so... One way to shake things up was Optimus Prime. Let's destroy him. Yep. Uh, now, in the, my mind, I always realized that you know these guys are are mechanical creatures, and we could rebuild them, and which I did. You know, it wasn't like Optimus Prime disappeared forever. Right. And even in the issue where he was destroyed, I gave a pretty strong hint to anybody who was paying attention to that issue 
he still existed. Yeah. His 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 mind or his memories existed on this this little floppy disk. It's amazing what compression compression algorithms existed back in the 1980s. <laughs> so um, yeah, so his entire you know his entire being was on that little floppy disk. But that that I believe opened up the opportunity to bring in uh, Grimlock and the uh, Dinobots, and Grimlock became the rather um, ill-equipped leader of the Autobots for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to make the contrast. Okay, now. You know, up until Optimus Prime just, you know, was off the scene, you had a bunch of Autobots led by a guy who had real empathy for the plight of human beings that they that they were inflicting their war on us here on Earth. Uh, that was Optimus Prime. But now Optimus Prime is off the stage, and now you have Grimlock, who's really only his only concern really is his own people, which is the Autobots, and how to how to defeat the uh, Decepticons. And humans were just kind of like uh, collateral damage at best for him. You know, like you know either get out of my way or suffer the consequences. And so I wanted to show that contrast that not everybody in the Autobots related to humans the same way Optimus did, um, which would, which is kind of a natural thing. There would be, there would be a, a range of, um, of attitude about, about being on earth and, and having to deal with humans among the Autobots. So that was my, that was, I think the germ of my, uh, my, my idea of, of moving Optimus Prime off and bringing in the, the Dinobots, specifically Grimlock, to kind of uh, begin their reign of terror or error, uh, <laughs> leading on for a little while until things changed again. So moving on to issue number 28, The Mechanic Strikes Again, and it has an awesome cover because my favorite Autobot is on the cover, Blaster, in glory. Uh, the only problem with the cover is that it says the mechanic strikes again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man! It's so yeah. soon after, it's like I we had one issue with the mechanic, then one issue with not the mechanic, and then the mechanic is back. It's like space out a little bit more or something at least. Uh, so it starts off with uh, the mechanic, um, and for you viewers, or for, sorry, for you listeners who are not who do not have a copy with you in front of you, the mechanic. He's just a guy wearing coveralls with a pair of goggles on. Not not the usual supervillain fanfare. Uh, starts off. Doesn't with, look like Circuit Breaker, that's no, for sure. No, it does not look like Circuit Breaker. <laughs> <laughs> He's using uh, that power booster device to steal stuff and, you know, villainy. And uh, so Bumblebee and Blaster are sent on a mission by Grimlock uh, to go get Ratchet's tools back. And they make Grimlock a complete buffoon. <laughs> I really love this splash page where it's just the black silhouette of this satellite that he's destroying. Um, it just looks cool, just with the straight lines and stuff. There's no real definition or anything. I don't know what it is about it, just with the solid blue background of the sky. It, it's just different. I always loved it when um, someone clearly drew something with a lot of depth and perception and completely black it out so you can't see where the lines are. I don't know. I just, I yeah. like that. There was, uh, I, I collected the Infinity Saga uh, from Marvel. And I remember in Infinity War, the Shaman, and I can't remember which superhero team he's from. He was Alpha a, Flight. Is he Alpha Flight? Yeah. He's wearing an all black costume, but they. Sorry, no, you're, ta- you're talking about North Star, I think. They called him the Shaman in, oh, in uh, Infinity War. Okay, maybe not. So, okay, know. Shaman, all black costume. I believe he's Alpha, he's Alpha Flight, but he, they, they draw him all black. So they clearly drew him, but then they painted him completely black. So you couldn't see where his arm begins or where it ends. You mm. just kind of got a hint of it. And I just remember that stuck with me. I really liked yeah. 
it whenever someone did that. So they did this, that with a black costume Spider-Man as well a lot of the times. Uh, ish. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they. I remember they would always draw white lines so you could see where his arms were. But that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah they would do that. Anyway, yeah, they make Grimlock really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I I can see why people didn't like him. So they, he's got a crown made for himself. I love that. Yeah, and uh, he's asking. Was he, is he asking? He's looking himself in a. Is he looking himself in a mirror? He is looking himself in a mirror. Yeah, he's just a. He's just an egocentric character. Like he thinks he's so great. He is. He he's the only obvious choice for Autobot ruler. And Blaster and Goldbug, in fact, quit. The Autobots, because of him, they they go off on their own, and that's this starts a major subplot that's going to carry through for many issues now, uh, as they forge their own way. Um, one there's one note from like there's an editorial note in, or maybe it's in the last issue. Uh, Goldbug is featured quite prominently in this issue, which we haven't really seen him since he was destroyed in the G.I. Joe miniseries. One of, that's one of the other reasons why you need to read the G.I. Joe miniseries before reading this volume, is because they don't really mention it at all in, this, in, this, in, in the regular issues that all of a sudden Bumblebee's gone and Goldbug is now the new guy. The only time they even allude to it is later on when, uh, I think, when Buster... Sam. No, Buster. Buster. <laughs> I was going to say Spike, and I'm like, no, Sam, no, <laughs> Buster. When Buster says, uh, calls him Bumblebee, and he's like, oh, actually, I go by Goldbug now. Yeah, and that's, and that's, that's it. several issues later. Yeah, that's it. He just, uh, there's no mention to it at all. Oh, and, and Blackrock does it too, I think. I think Blackrock also says he looks like Bumblebee. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's part of what makes these comics so confusing is the constant in and out of the characters and just doing things like that, renaming them and not bothering to let us know about it. Cause if you didn't read that transformers miniseries, you'd have, uh, or sorry, the GI Joe miniseries, you'd have no idea what's going on here. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not that big a deal. I mean, um, if you were a kid of the eighties and you remember this, do you remember the commercials at all? When the throttle bots came out? No, they said, I didn't think there was one where it was like Bumblebee's back as Goldbug. Oh, okay. And so, if, I mean, and, and I'm sure there's other stuff like that, but you, I think kids knew that Goldbug was Bumblebee. So if you saw Goldbug here, you, you knew he was Bumblebee. <laughs> I guess. I guess you may not yeah. know why, but yeah. If you were a fan of Transformers at the time, then you probably yeah they made sure you knew. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. In addition to Grimlock being a buffoon, it's also very clear that he's very much. While Optimus was very much carrot. Grimlock is very much stick. <laughs> <laughs> Go get that thing back. Yeah, very much so. Um, you will be punished otherwise. Very typical episode. Yeah. The, the only, the only, uh, oh, actually, so we have these uh, government, is it Rat? Is yep. it Rat shows up? Uh, and is it C, it's not CIA, is it? They are is from, FBI? Is no, it? they are from the III, the in. Intelligence and something rather I can't. Oh man, I have. I love all the acronyms they keep yeah. throwing at us. It was the III. No, but one of them was an III. The 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 dude who looks like the Irish guy. The I. Yeah, I, was gonna, I, I didn't want to say. <laughs> Is he Irish? The Irish stereotype. Is he okay? But hold on. Is he Irish? He's got to be. With his, um, he certainly looks. Because he looks because as as bad he looks like Banshee. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, sure. With his with his what's his the hat called? Um oh. the Tam. 
and uh, he's just wearing green like a leprechaun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but I'm, lo- I'm looking at page 65. He says, put it in drive, boys. We're following that car. That sounds, that doesn't sound Irish. If it had said, put it in drive, boyo, then I would be like, yeah, Irish. Sure. There's, anyway, it, it, doesn't is, it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter. The point is, Rat shows up, and of course, get in Blaster Mulby's way when they're about to catch the mechanic. But then they realize they're on the same side. They team up. They catch the mechanic. But, but the mechanic gets away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Save him uh, for another day. I, I, that, that was a... That really, you know, when the villain gets away and you're a kid, you're like, oh, man, he got away. This was literally me going, oh, no, he got away. Now we might have to read about him again. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to the next one. The next issue, you said you really like this one. Uh, issue number 29, Crater Critters. I did not own this issue as a kid. I owned the one after, and I loved the issue after, and I always wanted to know how this whole thing began. So I was really excited when I got oh, okay. this uh, this volume, because yep. I was like, oh, I finally get to know why this whole thing actually went down. And it's another blaster-centric episode. Um, it is. It starts off with a meteor impact of some type, but lo and behold, it's not actually a meteor. It is a, a Transformer spaceship that crash lands and... Uh, one tr- one robot seems to crawl out of it. I love that sequence right there. That one page where it's just the broken up, destroyed hand comes out of the crater. It looks good. It yeah, looks it's good. great. Um, and then we've got, I guess, the military shows up and surrounds the crater, and it's not letting any news uh, news people come. Uh, no, no press is allowed to go very close to the crater. Do they say? To the press, if it's an alien spaceship or not, or they just say it's a meteorite. I can't remember. I don't think they're sure, but but just the the basic premise of the the issue is that they uh, some Decepticons or on Autobots go down there and they get infected by these yeah. like nuts and bolts that kind of attach themselves to. It's basically some sort of disease or infection. Yeah. The the uh, in terms of releasing new toys, this is the first appearance in the comics of the Triple Changers. So you've got Blitzwing. I love Blitzwing as a kid. Uh, Astrotrain and Octane. So they're the Decepticon Triple Changers. They all. It was like the first time where a Transformer could turn into two alternate modes in addition to the robot mode, and they were really cool. They're dispatched by Ratbat to go to Earth to recover the crashed ship, which was supposed to actually bring. Uh, stuff intact to shockwave to assist him in his new plan um but because of some weird reason it crashed so the the triple changers go to uh investigate what's going on with their cargo they find the broken transformer who warns them to stay away because he seems to be infected with some weird disease and it looks like it's screws nuts and bolts that are attached to him and the trans the robot looks wrecked and yes we find out later that this disease is called the Scraplet's disease, and these little nuts and bolts are actually little creatures that can transform into humanoid or mechanoid-looking things. But once they attach themselves to Transformers or, any, I guess, any mechanical life form, they basically, it's like leprosy, and they multiply. Yeah. So the scraplets aren't actually toys, right? They were just created no, for this. They were just created yeah. for this issue. But they were, I think, I know that uh, they don't look like this later on, but in Transformers Prime, they they have the scraplets disease show up again in a in a modern version. But they okay. like they like this trope. 
of the of mm-hmm. the disease. Because I don't think there is any there there is no diseases that affect the transformers. In the in the TV show, there was a, some kind of space rust episode. Oh, yeah. I remember it freaked me out as a kid because it caused them to fall apart. There's a there's a part where I think it might have been Megatron just literally pulls off his hand. <laughs> He's like, "What's going on?" And I remember that really grossed me out as a kid. But uh, yeah, so um, Blaster and Goldbug go to investigate as well, and Blaster ends up falling into the crater. And he gets infected by the disease as well, which has already infected the the Decepticon triple changers. Yeah, and this is, this provides some a little bit of character development here because Blaster asks Goldbug to help him because not only is he infected, but he's also surrounded by these Decepticons. And Goldbug takes off, yeah, to go get help, but Blaster doesn't know that he's going to go get help. So uh, the Blaster thinks he's deserting him, and it gets really, really angry. That was really cool. I liked how they did that. Because Goldbug clearly wants to help, and he knows he can't, and he's got to try something else. Um, he's assisted by, I remember as a kid, this was significant for me, an Asian character. I was going to make that same note. Yeah. Because how often do you see uh, in, this was in the f- Marvel comics in the 80s? I never saw an Asian character in a comic before. I'm like, and I remember, because... Uh, uh, for you viewers who do not know, me and Curtis are both of Asian descent. Yep. And I never saw, I remember seeing, hey, that guy kind of looks like someone, you know, like me. And I never saw that before. Yeah, it's pretty significant. And uh, they don't rely on the same stereotypical tropes like they did with that Irish guy in the last ep- episode. Or last episode. Yeah, this guy is just a reporter. They don't even, like, there's no mention of race. It's just an Asian guy. In the issue, and he's a journalist, I think. Yeah. Anyway, so this reporter is one of the reasons he he tells Bumblebee, or sorry, Goldbug, um, the only way he can help Blaster is to get we got to get out of here for now, and so he goes to Bumblebee, and in the process of escaping, Goldbug gets infected by the Scraplets as well, and that's how we're left off. So we're, the the issue ends with uh, Blaster stuck in the crater with the three Decepticon triple changers, and they're all weakened by the Scraplets disease, which is spreading and slowly killing them. And Goldbug manages to get away, but he himself gets infected as well. This was a good cliffhanger. I, I, I like this issue. We've been saddled so far with some pretty mediocre issues in this volume, but then this two-parter, I thought, is, was pretty strong. The uh, next issue, issue number 30, this is the one I owned. I loved this issue. Once again, plugging in new toys, this issue introduces the throttle bots. Now, the Throttlebots were pullback Transformers with very basic transformations. Goldbug was a Throttlebot. And, I, and so technically, this is not the first issue where you see Throttlebots because we've seen Goldbug for a while now. But this is the first issue where you see the rest of the team show up finally. And they make it a point to constantly name, call them, you know. Uh, they always they just, do. They always do. Um, and uh, the Throttlebots are just a, just a rogue group of Autobots who get captured by Ratbat and told about the crater on earth that has the down ship and uh that they've the transformers that are on the ship have been infected by scraplets and ratbag gives the autobots the sorry the throttle bots the mission to go basically destroy everything in that crater because we can't allow this disease to spread across the galaxy and kill all the transformers and they even allude to their, wait, isn't there a cure for scraplets? And then Ratbat says, no, uh, that's only a myth. It's some rare substance. We don't even know if it exists. Yeah. I've mentioned this way, way back in ish, volume one. When we talk about volume one, which will come up later. 
we we jump back to Goldbug, and I remember just like looking at this as a kid and just staring at the faces and the expressions and this the the the, the movement. Um, page one hundred five. I just like the faces and anyway, they come to the conclusion that uh, water actually destroys scraplets. And so the space bridge appears, the throttle bus show up, they have cans of acid and their mission is to destroy everything in the crater. And the scraplets see the new transformers who've just shown up and they transform into their mechanoid modes and they want to go infect the throttle bots who are the, who are at the top of the crater. Two of the throttle bots track down Goldbug by his tracks because uh, their mission is to destroy everything that's infected with scraplets. And when they find Goldbug, uh, they are about to throw acid on him. But the human who's been helping Goldbug uh, shows that there's actually a cure. You don't have to kill this guy. Look, we have a cure. It's called water. And he throws, he demonstrates how water actually destroys scraplets. And they decide to not kill Goldbug. <laughs> and they radio, uh, sorry, Goldbug ends up calling Blackrock and tells him we need water out here immediately because water will cure um, cure the disease. And I love the conundrum that Blaster puts himself in. He's like, he just says, forget about me, release the acid. Like, like he, he's telling them, especially the throttle bots, to, you know, go ahead and destroy me if it means stopping the spread of this disease. That's oh, before oh, he knows that there's a cure. No, 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 no. That, that wasn't why. He tells them, because if they're going to spray the water in there, they're going to cure the Decepticons as well. He wants them to kill him oh, because he right. wants the Decepticons uh, to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's even even more noble, noble. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I know. I remember I was like... And um, I was really young when I had this, so I remember I couldn't really read what was going on. I just remember uh, on page 115, there's the panel of... The third panel where there's Blaster with the three Decepticons in the background smiling. And then second panel, second row... Very similar panel, except this time Blaster's yelling something and the three Decepticons in the back look very upset. Yes, I remember yeah, as a kid, yeah. I didn't know what happened there, but yeah, it's like, you're going to save all of us, right? And then Blaster's like, nope, you're going to kill all of us. I don't <laughs> want these Decepticons living. And I'm like, whoa. So that there's a, the panel that's just to the right of that one where the Decepticons are looking uh, scared. I, I love the shading on this gold bug. Just the way that they use the black on the face, and there's so it makes there, it look grim. It makes yeah. it look very, very serious. There are two inkers for all of these issues. You mean and, tracers? Well, th- yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, that was a that was a chasing Amy reference. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, but so <laughs> funny you say that because actually they're not technically the inkers of this issue, although they do the inking. They're the finishers. Don Perlin at this point. Isn't, he's no longer doing the full pencils. He's just doing the breakdowns, just kind of roughly mapping out where all the characters are going to go and how the, the panels are, are broken up and all that kind of stuff. And we have Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey doing the finishes. And I don't know which one of those two is the one who does the shading like that, but those panels always stand out to me. And so if you go to the last page of this issue, which is in this collection is um, page 120 and 121, 
there's a really cool shading going on, especially the the last panel of page 120 of the second to last page yeah, panel yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Like Goldbug and Blaster just look great. They're they're battle ravaged. They've got the cracks in their and and chips out of their their um their finish and, and that kind of stuff. And it's a lot of detail. It, it looks great. Yeah. And not all of uh, the panels look like that. So I I feel like one of them in particular spends more time putting those details in than the other. The scrapless realize they're about to get destroyed by this cure, so they all merge and form this like beast. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And then uh, they can't seem to hit this thing with water, so Goldbug only has a little bit of water left. So instead of trying to hose down this monster with the last bit of water they have, instead he hoses down the De- the Decepticons in the crater because he knows they have weapons that can defeat this thing. They end up defeating the monster in the end. They destroy all the scraplets. Uh, but the Decepticons, because they were healed, they managed to get away with the, well, of course. the cargo with the from the ship. Yeah. The ship with the mysterious doomsday device that uh, must be clearly very important. <laughs> um, some crazy earth-shattering technology that we've never yeah. heard of before. <laughs> and then the next issue begins, and it is anything but. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah. So, yeah, that two-parter I thought was very strong. That was great, wasn't yeah, it? I it was love great. that issue. It was great. Yeah. It had a good concept. It offered something a little bit different than what we've seen before. And uh, it was strictly a gold bug blaster, like buddy kind of adventure. Yeah. We didn't, we weren't bogged down with the rest of the the Autobots. And uh, I mean, we got a little bit of Grimlock at the beginning of the first one just to set up um, these two leaving the team. I remember, that, I remember as a kid when I read this issue, I got goosebumps like in terms of ick, ickiness grossness because when you see the scraplets embedded in their skin you see the cracks in their skin you see them getting chipped away yeah. i felt gross yeah it, it felt really disgusting <laughs> uh, uh watching it uh next issue i don't really want to talk about this one too much but what do we got here okay so what <laughs> I, I don't understand why you hate it so much. I mean, I understand it's, it's, it's so it's hokey and stuff. It's so hokey. But I, there's some good stuff in here. There, let, let me explain what I like about it here, okay? Um, I agree completely that the whole car wash premise is kind of dumb, okay? It's, it's, it's just... <laughs> and it had me wondering, like, is there a car wash transformer toy that they're trying to promote here? Because uh, it, it was so out of place this came out okay that's the thing i think it's because it came out of nowhere right it it, it was it, this felt very b movie right right and maybe that's what they're going for right for, sorry for you listeners who don't know what's happening essentially that giant ship that the, the triple changers made away with at the end that we don't know what this mystery tech is that they're getting it is just a giant car wash that hypnotizes patrons and makes them drive into the car wash and basically take all their gasoline and give it to the car wash. And yeah. with all this gasoline that's been stolen by these hypnotized people, the Decepticons are going to get energy. Well, what I liked about it is how I, I like Ratbat's scheme of, of using the humans to do all of his work. I thought that was clever. Um, I also like the fact that uh, just, just the end scene where where Buster is on his own def- trying to you know, fight against all of these Decepticons all by himself. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, Buster's back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, we haven't seen Buster since like the first volume, issue 11 or 10 or 11 was or something like that. He was volume? not in the second volume at all. 
So they've been gone for a while. Yeah, we haven't seen him. Uh, it's very unusual. And all of a sudden now, yeah, he's back and he's going to be part of the story again. And I think they did away with him. Um, it, I don't know if the timing works out the same way, but maybe the TV show ended or something like that around the same time as Buster disappears from the comics. Because maybe Bob is like, well, if the TV shows aren't running, I don't have to use this character anymore. Even though they're, I don't know, sort of different characters because they have different names. Yeah. But I like this one also because we get a little bit of development with Buster as well. Like he moves forward in his relationship with Jesse, which they've been kind of a little bit hinting at in the past. So, okay. Besides the, the hokiness of the car wash, what, what are your issues with this one? I, I think it's because we went from such a strong scraplet storyline, which was dark and gritty to, to something that's, to something really hokey, and yeah, you know, it's, it's I, a I'm reassessing farce. this as we're speaking right now. This is, I guess, no more hokey than a lot of the cartoon episodes. There are a lot of really lame cartoon plots yeah. as well, and this is not too far fetched in in that sense. <laughs> so, it's just, a, I think it's so disappointing. That in the end, all it is is a car wash. That that <laughs> thing that they they went through all that turmoil in the last two issues to get. Is a car wash that hit. I guess, yeah, I can see that. It's like really, (laughs) and you're you're stealing people's gas. (laughs) I think that is also, I think, really lame. Like, I I get it, I get it, I get it. It's efficient. People are doing it for you. You're hypnotizing people, and they're giving you their gas. And in this day and age, right now, gas is expensive. Sure. Um, (laughs) Well, and I this is also. I mean, I mentioned that I I wondered why Ratbat was so prominent here. Like Ratbat takes center stage here, Mm -hmm. and like this is all of his his plot, and he's only concerned with getting gas. Uh, Whereas there's a war going on between Autobots and Decepticons. It's like why are we focusing so much on Ratbat? You know what it is, Kurt? That I think. Uh, annoyed me about this. Maybe the plan to hypnotize people and steal their gas is actually a really good idea. Maybe that is a good idea. I just, it seems so low tech. And I, I, I alluded to when I was in high school and I found out how a nuclear power plant actually works. As a kid, when I heard nuclear power plant, I thought there's going to be some cool thing with lasers and stealing the energy <laughs> from the atom. And it's not, it's just a giant steam engine. And I remember when I found that out, I was so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I d- forget the fact that it's the most cleanest, you know, most efficient energy source ever. It's a steam engine. And I remember when I found out it was just a steam engine, I was so bummed. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so simple. Like, it's obviously not simple, but the idea itself is simple. I think that's what I don't like about this car wash. Maybe the car wash idea is brilliant. I'm just, <laughs> I'm so disappointed. This car yeah, wash. fair enough. <laughs> so the, the one scene I really like the best in this, so car washes can be a fairly traumatic event for a small child, right? You go in the car wash and all of a sudden you can't see the car's still moving forward, but you can't see anything. And there's like things attacking the windows. Yeah. Uh, soap is going everywhere and, and there's loud noises and like, it could be a fairly freaky thing. And then you have here on, on page um, 140, Buster is in the car wash and Ratbat appears out of nowhere and like starts destroying the car while he's in the car wash. And I'm like, man, if I were a kid, because I, um, I think that car washes, you know, they're, they're pretty freaky. And, and like now, now I have it in my mind that if I go through a car wash, there's the possibility that this giant robot bat's going to come crashing through my, mm. through my car. I think it paints uh, a really good picture. <laughs> 
Oh, oh, something else I wanted to bring up on this issue. Uh, going back to page 124, I love how uh, the Decepticon Seekers take over the Blackrock ship and they let the humans go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They, they even say, like, um, the first, one's gonna, first one to attack is going to die. And it's like, wow. I mean, yes, it's a kid's comic, but you really went through the trouble of letting the humans go. Because the censorship thing, that was clearly done because you can't just massacre this ship of, uh, of soldiers. But they could have just held them hostage or, you know, they didn't even have to ship them away. It's in one of these issues uh, where we literally see, I think for the first time, I remember reading it recently and I was shocked because we see a soldier get shot by a Decepticon in the back. And I don't know where oh, it is. Oh, I don't there. remember that. There's no blood. You just see him fall. Right. But I remember I was like shocked by it. Anyway, so that, you know my problem with this episode, but I, I, I see your point. I see your point. People always mention this issue. In a positive way or a negative way? Well, either. It's either people think it's, it's polarizing. so hokey or people, it's like a fan favorite. Um, fan favorite? Bob himself points this out as one of his, uh, one, that he, one of the issues that he likes a lot. Really? Yeah. Arguably my most notorious story is uh, Buster Witwicky and the Car Wash of Doom. Ah, uh, Yes. And I was just having fun. Like, hey, this is a parody. This is a parody. You know, obviously the movie that was at, that I was parodying. In fact, again, referring to this panel I was at uh, last weekend at the TFCon in Toronto, somebody said, what inspired Buster Witwicky and the Car Wash of Doom? I said, well, isn't it obvious? You know, the movie uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, we even, we even copied the font yeah, from right. the movie title. You know, we didn't make any bones about it. It was, a, you know, it was a straight parody. But I had fun with it. I, I told a story which involved a, you know, Buster and his girlfriend, and you know, I, I tried to make it uh, a fun story and, and give it, a, you know, a little bit offbeat. And uh, that's what it was, you know. And if people people liked it or they didn't like it, what could I do? But as much as possible, I always tried to come up with some different directions every every issue or so. You know, sometimes a couple issues are linked together as a two or three part issue, but two or two or three part story, I should say. But you know, I always try to come up with a a new direction to take it into so that, you know, what you saw last issue isn't necessarily repeated the following issue. Let's move on to issue number 32, used Autobots. Um, same creative team as usual. We have Goldbug and Blaster and the rest of the Throttlebots are just on the move. They're continuing their journey when they're attacked by um, a Decepticon. Uh, Blaster does this great move where he rides two of the Throttlebots like rollerblades down the street to try and gain some speed. Um, I love that. Yeah, and no, it I reminds me of when uh, in in Ant Man and the Wasp when he grows to Giant Man and starts using the cars. He does the same thing with the cars, he uses them as a skateboard and such. Uh, but this one really builds up the. We learn a lot more about the Rat which stands for the Rapid Anti-Robot Assault Team. Yep. And, and so they are after these guys. And in order to escape the rat, the Throttlebots and Blaster all disguise themselves as just cars in a used car lot. Um, and we get a pretty humorous kind of story with this used car I salesman. I love how when they draw him, you know he's a used car salesman. Oh, for sure. Like I guess it's like he's just slimy. You, he he has this this the greasy hair, the mustache, and the plaid, the plaid suit, the blazer. Yeah. It's just like yeah, he's a car salesman for sure. Yeah, 
And then we're reintroduced to this this other character that we haven't also haven't seen for a very long time, Walter. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. what's his name? Walter Walter Bennett. Is that his name, Bennett? He, Barnett. He, Barnett. He was the guy Walter who hired Robot Man, wasn't he? Uh, Robot Master. Yeah, he originally was is a part of this team to destroy all of the robots, but now he's figuring out that there are actually two sides, and some of these guys are actually good guys. He is faced with this decision: uh, does he let these Autobots get destroyed, or does does he try to stand up for them? Meanwhile, the Decepticons find out where these Throttlebots are, and there's just this big battle in the, the car lot, and I love it. I think this is a, another really, really nice battle. Um, We've got the Combaticons uh, yep. versus the Protectobots. Oh, yeah, and the Protectobots are sent by Grimlock. Well, yeah, sent, and we're under the assumption that they're there to rescue the Throttlebots and Blaster. Yeah, and Grim, Grimlock happens. wants them to bring them back to the, to the Ark. Yeah. Um, Great twist at the end. Yeah, in the end, they 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 have guns pointed at Blaster, and they're there to arrest him, not rescue him. Yeah, arrest him. Face he's going to face execution. So it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, this was a fun issue. Uh, I liked the comedy that was played underneath by this by this used car salesman. It was pretty good. I I had to admit, like this guy, I actually liked how. I don't know why do I like this guy. I don't like the mechanic. Because the the mechanic, this guy's just a person. The mechanic was trying to be a supervillain. This guy's not a supervillain. I, I found actually throughout this volume, and maybe this is just the case with these Transformers stories in general, that I really like the ones that focus on a human character interacting with the Transformers world, either discovering it for the first time or trying to maneuver through it. Um, I think that it's just you get some really good dynamics and some good storytelling here so that's why i like the story of the kids later on mm. and that's why i like this character here because he is just he is trying to be himself and do his the thing that he usually does even though he's now faced with giant robots and yeah, just, yeah. just doesn't work yeah. the same way yeah okay yeah i see that so at the very end of this issue we have uh the next time it says next in the next issue Blaster's fate revealed and the battle you've been craving, Bruticus versus Defensor. But then we get not that in the next issue. Next up is Transformers number 33. And uh, we have a special guest actually joining us for this part of the show. Uh, Johnny Cannon, who uh, it was my co-host for my Excalibur episodes. I had such a great time talking about the early days of Captain Britain in the UK that I thought since we're going to be dealing with some Transformers UK here that I would bring him aboard. So Johnny, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure, Curtis. And this is funny because it's uh, it's what, what time is it here, Peter? It's ten p.m. It's yeah, quarter after ten on Thursday night, and for you, it's really early on Friday morning, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, quarter past six. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love it. I love that we can uh, do this literally across the world from each other, and it's just it it, it warms my heart. <laughs> this wouldn't have happened in the eighties. No, it wouldn't have happened in the eighties. <laughs> Not at all. I wish I'd brushed my teeth before doing this podcast. <laughs> well, fortunately, <laughs> Skype doesn't breath. Skype doesn't have a smell function, so <laughs> it's fine with me. Now, we're going to yeah. talk about the Transformers UK uh, because these next two issues of Transformers are 
basically they're fill-in issues that they borrowed from the UK stories. Now, what can you tell us about Transformers UK, Johnny? This this is a delve into my tragic childhood. <laughs> um, Transformers, it started, I think it was in 1984, so I'd have been 10 years old at the time. And I think it was the fortnightly comic at first for maybe the first 20, I think it was maybe the first 24 issues, and then it went weekly. So they kind of ran out of US material at, at, at one point and started to do original UK strips. So I think Man of Iron appeared first in, I think it was issue nine. So the way that they used to do it was it was a 24-page comic, um, and there was adverts in it like there was in the Marvel US issues. And the first few backup strips were things like Steve Ditko's running Machine Man. Oh, yeah. And then Transformers like, later on would merge with other comics. We talked about that in the Excalibur. I think you mentioned Zoids was one of them, right? I think it was Zoids, and I think Action Force as well, which was a British version of G.I. Joe. Okay. Pretty sure those two merged. So I was obsessed with comics when I was a kid, and I had the first two issues because I remember there was these, you can see them online, these really, really beautiful Jerry Paris covers. Yeah. And there's issue ones, a big close-up of Optimus Prime fighting Megatron. He did a lot of games covers back in the 80s. In those two issues, you got free gifts, which was a common thing with issue, uh, the first couple of issues of new comics. Uh, and you get transfers with them, which are like stickers. Are the British comics, are they the same size as our comics? Or I feel, I feel like oh, they're a different size. Yeah, they were larger. They're magazine covers. Uh, sorry, magazine-style yeah. comics. And they were kind of um, slightly maybe... They're more kind of A4-sized. I don't know if you do those measures over in the States. Yeah, we do. You can tell also when they reprint them. Yeah, in, they've, they've, they, there's the large white space at the bottom of these pages because they're not uh, they're not exactly the same format as the American size. I had heard about all the extra stuff that came with the UK issue, so, and I knew it was a magazine, so I wasn't sure the size of it. If it was like, I guess it would be like a Conan the Conan I think so, comic, yeah. magazine size, yeah. size, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've... <laughs> It's funny you mention that. So, and because I was obsessed with comics, my parents, like when I got to a certain age, maybe about 14, they tried to discourage it because they thought it was too childish. But occasionally when I was a kid, um, my dad would buy me a comic. Um, and he did once buy me, uh, I think I was maybe eight, bought me an issue of Savage Sword of Conan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, didn't, oh, man. he didn't realize what was in it. And then oh, it was bad. It, and obviously there's a lot of nudity in it. Yep. Um, yep. I, mean, I think it's just topless women. But yeah, that comic mysteriously disappeared. <laughs> My dad shed. <laughs> yeah. I had mentioned that it, we used to get free comics from my neighbor. That's how I got the Transformers comics. Yeah. And I had a Savage Sword of Conan. And I it was black and white, so I just kind of threw it to the side. And I remember I was like one day, I was like maybe five or six years old. I'm like, what? Okay, let's take a look at this weird, overly big comic. And there was decapitation, blood and guts, nudity. I'm like, yeah. what is this? <laughs> I have never seen this before. <laughs> I freaked out now. Yeah, I think I still have the issue somewhere if I had to look for it. But I remember shocked. That's by awesome. That. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, Conan. <laughs> you can't beat him. <laughs> Maybe you can. Maybe that was a point. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I find it funny that uh, so the U the UK Transformers comics reprint the US comics, but because their schedule is so much more frequent, they ran they they like used up all the UK stuff, so they had to create their own new material, and that's Man of Iron, this story here. But then yeah. the 
American comics, they uh, are behind in their schedules, and so they need something to fill the the spots in the American comics. So they take also Man of Iron. So it's kind of uh, filling the same purpose for both U.S. and U.K. Do you have anything else you want to tell us about the U.K. Transformers, Johnny? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the length of the strip was a lot shorter. They were about 11 pages long. And I think later on in the run, um, so it ran for 332 issues. Oh, and later on in the run, I think they did mid-200 issues. They changed it up a little bit so that the stories were shorter. So instead of a backup strip and a Transformers lead strip of 11 pages long each, and you had a couple of pages for funny strips, because humour strips in the UK are quite common. You'd have one-page things like Robo Capers or Combat Colin. And you'd have text features as well. So not Transformers. Not Transformers that would be in a Transformers magazine. Yeah. Uh, and you said 11 pages. Does that mean that when they get the American comics, they cut the issues in half? Yeah. If you go on Facebook, there's a group called Marvel UK Comics. And one of the guys, that used to, what they used to do was they would draw a new splash page um, for the kind of second part of it. And so guys like Dave Hunt used to do it, and he would draw it in the style of John Byrne, for example, for the for the Spider-Man reprints. Um, and for, uh, it was a guy called Jeff Acklin that did a lot of the stuff as well. And he posts his splash pages quite regularly, and which is quite interesting because usually it was magazine size, the UK comics, but for a while in the 70s, they had a series of comics including Spider-Man and the Titans where they would print in this really odd landscape format. Oh, weird. Where you would have two pages on a page and that's, they'd be small. That's bizarre. Yeah, it's really, really odd when you see them. Um, you can you can occasionally buy them online quite cheap, but because of that, the splash pages that we draw for that, they were kind of like letterbox size. They're really, really odd. Huh. And so you see that here um, because these these the UK strips were shorter. So chapter one and chapter two are in Transformers number thirty three, and then chapter three and chapter four are in Transformers thirty four. Yeah. I wonder why they publish it in a fortnight instead of just doing it monthly. Um, monthly comics, you did get monthly comics in the UK, like uh, Marvel Superheroes, Mighty World of Marvel, but usually weekly comics were, were the thing in, in the UK. I mean, we kind of culture of comics over here where that you would get them in news agents. There wasn't, there's not newsstands like there are, or there used to be in the US, but a lot of kids would get their comics delivered. So I used to get comics delivered to my house by the paper boy. So I would get Spider Man and Action Force and Thor, X Men. Uh, Fantastic Four. My brother was the one that was obsessed with Transformers. He was born in 1981, so around about 1986, he would have started getting the comics delivered on a weekly basis. I think he got them on a Thursday. So he he had a run from probably about maybe issue 40 through to... I mean, he was still getting them after um, I'd kind of grown out of reading them. Um, so maybe he had a run of about 200 200 issues yeah, wow. I had the first couple first couple of issues because they had the transformer the transfers in them that's the only reason I remember them in the covers because we put the transfers in my wardrobe um, and my parents had this wardrobe for like 20 years later my mum was still annoyed transformer <laughs> <laughs> so along with an old issue of Savage Sword of Conan that someone had hidden there and my dad <laughs> Why don't we talk about these issues for a little while? Uh, I, I've never read these before. Before I bought these reprints, um, I've never read a UK issue. They were alluded to because I, when I started collecting towards the end of the run, the American run, in the letters page, 
readers would mention the UK comics, and I never understood what they ha- what they were talking about. Hmm. I just knew that there was Transformers, and I remember there was one issue in the back issue lot in my comic shop that said this was a UK issue, and I'm like, I don't understand what's what's happening here. So everything <laughs> you just told us, I found that out later. But this issue, the Man of Iron, this is the f- I read this for the first time when I got Volume Three of these Transformers classics, and I was shocked at the tone and feel of it, how yeah. different it is. And it feels a lot more adult, I think, not pandering. Yeah. Um, I think you'll find that with most UK comics in general. UK, the way that they wrote and the way that they attacked comics in general is about 20 years uh, ahead of its time compared to American Yeah, comics. like I'm reading this now. This feels a lot more like a modern comic than the issue we just read. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Marvel in the 80s, uh, it's just... It's hokey. It's so hokey compared to this. And, and I think one of the biggest things that you notice is that the UK writers don't feel the need to fill every panel with text. There's no exposition. Like, there's no... It's just stuff happening, and they're trusting the reader is smart enough to piece together what's going on. Yeah. I felt that the Transformers in this issue felt a lot more alien than they have been in the past, Mm. because we're watching this story unfold from this boy's perspective, right? And I thought that was really cool. Okay, so this story, Man of Iron, is all about uh, a castle in England, in southern England, and these planes fly overhead and there's an explosion and so the government gets involved trying to figure out what's going on and this little boy stumbles across uh, Jazz in the forest and my first thought was how why the heck is a, a transformer in England aren't they all based in uh, in the United States um, but they explain that pretty pretty quickly um, but the really cool part here is that there is an ancient ancient history or a legend where uh in 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 1017 this castle um was was under siege and this giant creature came to their aid and then disappeared into the forest and this creature was an old autobot but nobody knew what that was at the time of course nobody's seen it they just called him the man of iron and this boy thinks that jazz who we saw in the forest is that man of iron um, what what I what I love about this issue is it also expands on the whole history of the Transformers as well. It's like we know that they've been on Earth for millions of years already, right? Just in stasis, buried underground. Uh, at some point, Cybertron sent this this guy, this Autobot, to uh, to bring them home, but they never made contact. And I think that's a really cool concept. Um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. I can't remember reading this first time round. This would have been issue nine uh, of the, the Transformers UK comic. So the thing that I don't really remember reading this one as a kid because I remember the, the later Transformers stories, which were really, really different than this. Um, they had a much stronger sci-fi feel. This when I was reading this, the, the Man of Iron stuff, it really reminded me, and I, I'm sure this is where it comes from, is the Ted Hughes book, The Iron Man, that they've turned into an animated film. And that you guys might have heard of. It's, I mean, it's really, really well known in the UK as a children's. The Iron Giant. Iron Giant, Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah. Iron Giant. I love yeah. that movie. It's a fantastic film. I think it's called The Iron Man, the book. Okay. Um, in the UK, but they may have changed it for some reason. <laughs> is it, it, just so we're clear, is that the one where the boy finds this this like giant alien robot and yeah, yeah okay, and yeah. befriends them? Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. 
the other vibe I got off this, and it's maybe because, in fact, it's almost certainly because John Ridgway drew it. John Ridgway was the original artist in the Hellblazer series that Jamie Delano wrote. So I don't know, even though they probably weren't going for this, when I was reading it, I was like, God, this has got a really strong horror feel, and it's simply because John Ridgway drew it. Yeah. Because um, he's not a classic Transformers artist. There's a lot of blacks in here. I was going to talk about the inking. Yeah. Like, it definitely has a very grim, dim, dark look to it. It's wonderful. Compared uh, to the other issues. And yeah. actually, now that I'm wondering about this, because the color, this is another thing, too. I, I, I'm used to comics looking a certain way. Um, these days, obviously, if you're a modern comic reader, then you, you may not know what I'm talking about. But I'm used to the four-color coloring format. But this looks like everything's painted. Um, I don't know what they did to get the color on this, Kurt. Well, this is uh, magazines had a different co- uh, processing. It was it was a more expensive uh, to do full processing color. It, it's just a different way of printing, and so the magazines and th- Marvel did this too. They had a Hulk magazine in the in the states and uh, uh, some of their other ones that had really excellent coloring like this. A lot of fully painted pages. Well, that's one thing I noticed. They would always make sure it was clear if something was a magazine or a comic. And I never understood why there were some Marvel magazines. I'm like, what's the difference? It looks right. like a comic book to me. And I did, I, at the time, I don't, think, I don't think I understood it was the coloring. Is definitely it's not different. just the coloring, though. It's also, it has to do with um, the way it's distributed, um, how much they can charge and all that kind of stuff if you have a magazine status. Uh, comic books are not magazines I have to remember why, because they wanted to avoid... Comics Code Authority? Um, yeah, maybe that's what it is. No, it... Um, magazines didn't have the Comic Code Authority. Yeah, so is that a way to avoid the Comic that's, Code Maybe authority? that's what it was. I'm thinking it differently. Because usually they... when I saw a magazine, I always thought it was more of an adult thing. It absolutely was. Right? And Conan, for example. Yeah, okay. The Conan comics don't have all that same blood and guts and nudity. Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. reserved for the magazines. Well, this is the thing. This issue right now, it is the reprint uh, there was an actual, you could buy this issue in the U.S. the way it's formatted right now. So I'm wondering, does that mean that... What did the color look like? Yeah, what did the color look like in the original comic, the monthly comic? Was it, yeah, was it shaded? Was it colored like this? In which case, would that issue have been, should have been more expensive to produce? It's still charging the same dollar, I think. Well, they, did, they wouldn't have had to pay for the artist or factor in any of that kind of costs oh, into it because it's just a reprint. But uh, that's a good point. I don't know what the original... I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering right now if I bought the monthly issue of this reprint of the British comic, if it would be a four-color version of this or if it would look exactly like the way it does right now. And this is actually the UK version we're reading. When Marvel did their movie adaptations in the 80s, they, they would, uh, let's say, because um, we've just been talking about them on the podcast as well. So Labyrinth, for instance, when that came out, they did a magazine-style Labyrinth adaptation had full process color like this and then afterwards and this was the standard practice they would break up the that magazine into three issues and and release it as a three issue miniseries in the comic style and they had to recolor it all with the four color process Mm. for that so i don't know if that's the same here but uh because i couldn't imagine this being done in four color this is no this would look terrible (laughs) it would Sorry, I was just going to say, it's interesting you're saying about the Comics Code Authority, because in the UK, there wasn't a Comics Code Authority, so when this had been originally produced, I mean, there's, there, there, was, there was nothing like that here. Occasionally what would happen, um, there, was a very, there was a very, very famous case of this, um, where 
you're you're totally right about UK comics being further ahead because the eighties was the time that you had guys like Alan Moore yeah, coming yeah. over to do Swamp Thing. Aye. And he cut his teeth um on Marvel UK and also in an independent comic called Warrior, which was set up by a former Marvel UK editor called Des Skin, and that's where Miracle Man um appeared in V for Vendetta. Oh yeah. But two thousand A D was a, a massive game changer. Um, because you guys like Alan Davis doing Harry 20 in the High Rock, he was drawing Captain Britain at the same time. I think John Ridgway and certainly Mike Collins that draws the second issue of this, um, he came out of there as well. And there was a lot of stuff about class in there because this was the time of Thatcher. So there was a lot of kind of um, pushback against a lot of her aggressive policies in comics. Mm-hmm. But there was a case... It was Action Comics, and it famously had in the front cover, um, I think it was a teenager hitting a policeman, and this caused a massive outcry. It actually went to the Houses of Parliament, which is the equivalent of your Senate, I suppose, um, and it was discussed there. So, I mean, it's not a Comics Code Authority. It was, you know, if there was something controversial, it, 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 it would, you know, reach that kind of level. And that comic, I think, got, I think it got pulled off the shelves and pulped. That means that they're very valuable now. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of very very anti-establishment comics, uh, and that's that's really strong in, in the writing of guys like uh, Pat Bills, who used to write. You probably know him best through Martial Law, maybe. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, he he's he's the guy that created 2000 AD. So. So aye, there's, there's a long history of that in, in UK comics. You're, you're, you're totally right. The anti-establishment thing, that, that is a big theme, isn't it? I, I don't know. It just seems like a lot of the UK comics I'm exposed to seem to have that, whether it be a major theme or at least alluded to in a lot of the UK comics I've read. Yeah, it's, 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 it's huge in, in UK comics. And if you think about all of that, this era right now, is like Frank Miller is also producing... Uh, the Dark Knight Returns, which was a game changer in American comics. Uh, it was like new and bold, but that stuff that's been going on in the UK comics for years before that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people like, yeah. When when, when was Dark Knight Returns? What no, was it was that? like eighty six or something. It was like right around this time. Right around this time. Yeah, they were all in the same year, weren't they? Uh, oh, Dark Knight Returns and yeah, V for Vendetta Watchmen. was around the same time, I think, too. Watchmen, yeah. When was Watchmen? Watchmen was well, in V for Vendetta was published. It was originally published in Marvel, not Marvel, sorry, in UK comics and Warrior, and then DC reprinted it in color. Right. Um, and yeah. later on, a couple of years later, so but it started off in UK comics. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you certainly get that feel in this Man of Iron story. It's just so. Uh, I don't even. I don't know how to describe it. It's just so mature, and I think part of it is that the plot is basic. So they have they really spend a lot more time on unfolding the mystery. You know, I just thought sorry, Kurt. I just gotta cut it for a second. Yeah, I never realized it till right now, because maybe when I read it, I hadn't seen the last Michael Bay Transformers movie, The Last Night. Oh, <laughs> and I just realized I think he might have pulled some ideas out of this one, and that was, by the way, a terrible film. <laughs> I just you know putting it out there. I love Transformers. I can't stand the bait. I, I've already mentioned this before. I won't knock it too much, but yeah, I just realized this is a lot of these ideas. Whether it was coincidental, I think they pulled some of these ideas and put in that movie. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Who knows? Um, are there any specific things about this story that we want to talk about? Other than the grittiness and the artwork is beautiful. And oh, one thing I've noticed with the UK, especially because I, because, um, and we, I guess, well, maybe we'll talk about this in the future because I want to, I would love to talk about the UK Transformers because we were, we've been collecting the, the reprints of that. 
But I noticed that in the UK, at least for the first little bit, they draw the Transformers exactly like the toys look. Like um, way more on model than the they, They're modeling stuff. them after the toys. Like by At this time, um, the Transformers, they've started to draw them very stylized in the American comics to almost match to their television counterparts, which don't necessarily look like the toys. Right, because they have to be streamlined and stuff like that. Right. But these UK comics, these, these, these four issues especially, they draw them as if they were toys walking around. They have them drawn exactly like the toys. Hmm. There's the one scene where Trailbreaker is like completely demolished. Yeah. I was so surprised at that. Uh, again, just the maturity of it. Like he, he's destroyed and like on his last breath trying to talk to, uh, who is it to optimist to say, uh, go on without me. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, and I don't know if they ever fix him. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, because I, I was racking my brain, like, do we ever see Trailbreaker again? Well, this is out of continuity, right? Because it, it, well, Optimus is in this story. and Okay, here's the thing. So from what I understand is that the UK writers were allowed to do whatever they wanted. They yeah. were given free reign because they, they were never supposed to kind of interact. So, But what the UK's writers would do is one of the reasons why it's in England, they made it so that these whatever happened in these stories could theoretically be in the continuity past. because they're happening somewhere else. Hmm. So they were usually not allowed to use major characters. I think I, I think that's what my understanding <laughs> and Optimus was. wasn't Optimus a major character at the time. Or what, they would be put in situations where they were not conflicting with the American storyline. Um, I, I think that's what I read somewhere um, that, that was the case. But when they blew up Trailbreaker, I'm like, I don't think, I don't remember the last time I saw him. Right. Nor do I remember when I ever see him again. So they might have just killed him off here. And as well as the, the secret, the Seeker Jets, too. I think they, they blow them up something good. So, I don't know. Yeah, they changed that later on because I so they, they, what they used to do with the comics was they kind of interweave the UK stuff increasingly with the U, US comics and they'd create their own kind of continuity. So, eventually, you would... I think they actually had to change some of the US artwork. Like, they would remove some characters from background because you could sometimes kind of see the faint outline of that because it was reprinted bigger. Um, oh. I think the best example of that was Megatron and Shockwave had been killed off in the US comics, but I can't remember who killed Megatron in the US comics, I never read them, but in the UK comics, he was killed by Deathshead, who was introduced, uh, you know, Deathshead 2? Yeah. 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 Originally, Deathshead was created by, I think it was Simon Furman, who was the definitive UK writer, like, mm-hmm. and I think he became the definitive US writer eventually, and Jeff Senior, who was, I think, probably the definitive Marvel UK um, artist, he he, they went on to do a cult classic called uh, Dragon's Claws for Marvel UK, which is which is I would recommend you get hold of that. It's amazing that comic. Um, and Shockwave, and Shockwave was probably my favourite character, um, and Galvatron as well. Um, so so it was quite interesting. We would get my brother and I. We would get the he would read the Transformers comic because it was his, and then I would read it. I was so disappointed when it was a US comic <laughs> in it because the quality was just nowhere near the level, yeah. except when you had guys like... So there was Jeff Senior, there was Robin Smith, Andrew Wildman, um, Will Simpson, who went on to be the storyboard artist in Game of Thrones, the TV show Oh yeah, that you may have heard of. <laughs> I think I've heard of that one. <laughs> um, yeah. That's the one with the good ending, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you're thinking of Seinfeld. Um, and Brian Hitch. But Brian Hitch must have been like 16, 17. Right. Um, and he started off... I think he was quite famous for like really riffing in Alan Davis early on, but originally riffed in Jeff Senior. 
And you had another guy called Lee Sullivan, who I think went on to draw Robocop for Marvel US. Oh. Um, and he drew like Jeff Senior as well. And it's funny because Jeff Senior just disappeared from comics for years after Dragon's Claws and went to work, I think, in advertising because the Marvel, uh, sorry, the UK comic scene kind of really, really has dipped since the probably the, the 80s. So you don't really get comics like this anymore. Um, it's, it's nowhere near this quality, but with, with the only exception is 2000 AD. And what's replaced that is the UK has a massive small press scene now. So it's maybe a bit like the kind of independent scene before Image in the US, where you've got hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, small press um, folk doing comics, which and, and that is good. Like that's where you get a lot of the anti-establishment stuff now. All mm. oh, right. So, uh, yeah. Johnny. So, because you've read these, um, I, I'm 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 making my way through my UK Transformers for the first time. But I did I read the entire American run. Now I know that at one point towards the end of the issues, because right now the the UK comics at this point in time they're they're written independent. They're doing their own thing. They're not really connected to the American comics. They're, so they're kind of to, you know they're happening simultaneously. But you mentioned they weave together later on. Do they end up becoming one coherent storyline? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I think originally this was just filler. And that's why, and this is no disrespect to Steve Parkhouse, Steve Parkhouse was a letterer. And I think he was most famous for writing up until now is probably the Black Knight strip that we talked about in the Excalibur episode. Right. So he's a really, really good writer. But um, I can't remember when Simon Furman came on. But I think that's when it became, like when he started writing it, he just wrote it. And that's when yeah. they wove together. Took he replaced Bob Budiansky, I think, in the US strip as well. Yes, he did. Um, so that's, I mean, I it, it totally knitted together. I don't know how. I mean, it's totally mind bending when you think about what happened. Like just what you described. So you had two separate. It's originally the US continuity, and then the UK evolved into this hybrid US UK continuity, which he then had to weave back into the US continuity when he started writing for that. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know quite how you get around it. But there was a lot of time travel, I think, in the... <laughs> oh, time travel. <laughs> Good old time travel. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching this YouTube video the other day about um, some guy was complaining about how time travel seems to be the new flavor of the month in Hollywood. And there's a theory that uh, there might be time travel in the new Star Wars movie. And he was just ripping into it. It's like, oh, there's a problem? Don't worry, we'll just fix it with time travel. And it's just like... <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> well, that's how Avengers ended. They fixed everything. No, exactly right. Travel. It's just every. That's what's happening now. It's the time travel. It's all about the time <laughs> travel. Okay, so one, one. I have one final comment, and then uh, you can you can have your final comments if you want. But I was, uh, I was quite sad at the end of this story because in the end they, they're like, we have to destroy this old Autobot. Uh, because we can't leave Earth because the Decepticons are still here, but we can't let this this Autobot remain because he is the ticket off the planet and we don't want him to be discovered. So they destroy this Autobot. And it's like the guy doesn't have a name in this story. It's like, it's, it's kind of sad because he was sent to rescue these guys and he, he, and they find him and he doesn't get to do that. His mission doesn't get to be fulfilled. And the good guys, his own teammates are the guys that blow him up in the end. Well, this is this is kind of like this is going back to how this is definitely a much more mature. This is a military, yeah, decision. This is not some kid right. good guy versus bad guys thing. This is a gray thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it is shocking when you see Optimus actually make 
a move like that. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. You're not used to him make like, when have you ever seen Optimus make the hard decisions? <laughs> really? I mean, they never put him in that situation where he's got to, you know, yeah. Pick the less of two evils. And so that was kind of cool seeing that. Any final comments from you, Johnny? Yeah. It's, 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 I was, I was just thinking when you were talking there, like when I think I might have joked with you in messenger about this before, cars, when I used to read um, the transformer comics when I was a kid, the, the, the cartoon eventually was shown in UK television as well, but until that point, I used to think oh, the Transformers had British accents. As well. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> sure, of course. Optimus yeah, Prime yeah. there, I was like, you can't help but think, I don't know the name of the actor, but that is the voice you always think of, because obviously it was in the films as well. But yeah, I'm just trying to remember, I was like, whose voice I think it was like so if I was um, yeah reading Transformers and stuff it would be like it would all either have like sort of regional accents to okay so I was going to actually ask about that because there's not there's no one English accent so what do you hear Optimus Prime speaking with then like with a posh accent or or like no no Optimus Prime or a Scottish accent yeah so Optimus Prime pretty much I, I think when I was reading it, it was pretty much just Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that no, that totally makes sense. I just, I'm just trying to imagine him with a Sean Connery voice, like Sean Connery doing the voice of Optimus Prime, and I just can't. That's hilarious to me. Which, which somehow makes Optimus Prime seem a lot harder. <laughs> if it's Sean Connery doing it. Um, yeah, oh, uh, aye, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of regional accents. I mean, in Scotland alone. So do you do you have different voices? Like, I mean, I guess I don't think about it with voices myself, but do you do you imagine them all with different regional accents for each character? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why. I mean, it's until I, until I saw the cartoon, because if it was if you're reading something like Spider-Man, you know, it's a, you just kind of know it's American because it's set in America. That's but true. It's called, like you say, some of these early ones I would have been reading. Um, and even even though early ones had been set in, um, I must have been set in America. But yeah, for some reason, I just I totally remember just reading them, thinking yeah, they had British accents for some reason. You get that? With, you'd get that with American ones as well. I mean, Hound I think had more of a Southern American accent or something, right? Uh, the Hound? No, he's Scottish. <laughs> no, it was funny because as a kid, I never even realized this because like. I never yeah. knew as a kid that Jazz and Blaster were black. Like, oh, they the were yeah. voice actors. Well, the voice actors were black, but they were playing black. Oh, okay. On the show, yeah. Like, uh, um, I mean, Jazz. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I never. Right, but no, no, I never, I never got that. It's just like, it's just like, it's, as a kid, you're oblivious. I was oblivious to that that type of thing, right? It's just like I did not know Sebastian was Jamaican. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't. Like, it was just Sebastian. He yeah. was the crab. Right, and so I remember the Little Mermaid. No, yeah, it was just. No. <laughs> but he's got that accent. Yeah, but he's just Sebastian. That's what's. That's what the crab talked like. I didn't yeah. get. And I remember crabs it, don't it was, have it, have any race. No, they didn't have a race. And then I remember. I and it's not. It wasn't a bad thing. I just. I remember when I saw the special. It was a Disney special, and they were doing a live performance of Under the Sea, and this uh, this man of color came on and sang under the sea i'm like who's that it sounds exactly like sebastian <laughs> I'm like oh my god that's sebastian I, I and i never imagined what he looked like i just was surprised when he, when he was black i was like whoa yeah and as, as a kid you don't really see well i don't know do you know for a second that i genuinely thought you were talking about transformers like who the hell is sebastian <laughs> oh, uh, my bad sorry <laughs> we're talking we're talking, we're talking. <laughs> okay whoops <laughs> 
Sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, it just I blew my mind. That's a crap transformer. <laughs> we have well, Scorponok. There's it's the Seacons. Like the no, no, there's no crab, though. Um, there's... <laughs> oh, um, I think it should be Jazz, Jazz French. Like a black Frenchman would have been would have been perfect, and if he wore a little berry, just for, <laughs> just for um, just to really offend any European listeners, maybe some onions as well. Um, his, no, I don't no. mean that. Really, don't mean that at all. I, I can't stress that enough. But yeah, I mean I, that really does come out in the character. Yeah, there's, there seems to be different. I'm pretty sure, uh, maybe I'm misremembering this, but so you, when you when you got the you got the cartoon, it was the American cartoon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not gonna um, remember, dub over with. No, no, no. But I think there are some shows that are dubbed. It's still in English, but with, with different with accents. Regional accents. I, I, I know I've heard about this, and I'm trying to think. Yeah, this, they do it with Paw Patrol because my oh. son he's turning five, and he used to like. He's grown out of Paw Patrol now. He's obsessed with Spider Man and the Spider Verse. But he used to like Paw Patrol, and they've all got <laughs> really posh. So Paw Patrol has oh. English accents in the UK. English, English accents, yeah, and but it's and it's this, it sounds like the same actors. Oh, I don't know if you guys get Octonauts. Yeah, we get Octonauts. We have American accents. Wait, no, wait, do we? No, 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 no. We have British accents. I can't remember now. My kids are really into Octonauts. I can't remember off the top of my head now. <laughs> I get Fireman up. Sam. Yeah, we have well. Fireman Sam, and oh, there's yes, Fireman Sam has two versions. There's an there's an English version. Yeah, like as in. UK English and there's an American version and they have different accents. Okay, yes, there we go. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Because now I I would love to hear a British dub of Transformers with Sean Connery <laughs> as Optimus Prime. I would I would pay money to see that. Yeah, but like uh, Transformers rollout. Transformers. <laughs> um, no, Fireman Sam's not English; it's Welsh. Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, oh. yeah. Yeah. So they speak like. Oh God, this is really bad. Um, I can't. I can't do a well. I used to love in Wales, but I can't do a Welsh accent. It's like, oh, uh, what's the wee guy again? Uh, Norman, Norman, do the dishes. Ah, mother, I'm not going. I'm going to steal the submarine instead. That's, so that's a Welsh way, accent. That's a Welsh accent. Oh, yeah. It's okay. But yeah, and an English accent's more like a Patrick Stewart or. Um, he, you could hear his regional accent come through. It's just because a lot of those guys, when you do. Um, Shakespeare, like if you go to the Royal Shakespearean Company, they try and destroy your regional accent. Yeah. So you sound like Brad Pitt and um, Troy, for example. You know that really generic. Um, and then if you hear someone like the Queen speak, it's like what the? <laughs> That's like a different language. It's like what on earth is that? Like it's it's just bizarre. Yeah, Patrick Stewart uh, so, is the most English sounding French space captain ever. Is <laughs> he meant to be French? I thought he was meant to be like Canadian or something like Jean Luc Picard. No, he he was he was uh, apparently he yeah. wanted to do a French. I, I, I think I think he wanted to do a French accent. And they said nope. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that? So, but he still gave him the same Jean Luc. Anyway, this we're yeah. we're uh, digressing. We're, we're digressing here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, <laughs> We need to wrap up with Johnny here and get on with the rest of our episodes or our issues. So, um, Johnny, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It was great talking to you about Transformers. And you know what? Maybe we should try and uh, do some more Transformers UK episodes in the future. Yeah, sure. That'd be a pleasure. You could educate us because the UK stuff is new to me until it merges because I do know it merges later on. But in the meantime, when I'm reading this, this is gold and I'd love to know more about it. I can barely remember anything. It was 30 years ago for me. So, Do you still have your issues? Do you still have your original issues? 
Well, they were my, they were my wee brothers, so I, I don't know what he, what he did with them. Um, Go get him from him, Johnny. Go take him from his house. I've actually not spoken in five years, so Uh-oh. that would be quite bad. <laughs> well, then make well, sure this, this, like, could, this could be this could be a reunion thing, or make sure that he doesn't catch you stealing his comics. Yeah, no, I'm picking back for that Conan issue. That's what I'm picking back for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but take it easy, you guys. Thanks. All right. Have a good day, man. See ya. Yeah, I'm off to work. <laughs> Have fun at work. All right. Oh, God, I won't. <laughs> Bye. Right, bye-bye. Okay, moving on to issue number 35. This is called Child's Play, and this is the issue that should have been two issues ago. Yes. The cover for this issue is by Frank Springer, who was the original Transformers artist for the original miniseries and for the first several issues before Don Perlin took over. So nice to see Frank Springer back doing some Transformers again, and we'll see him. Well, his art's definitely evolved, though. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, Yeah. I I, uh, Once again, we're in another story arc where I had the issue after this one, but but I never knew what led up to it. So I was excited about reading this one again. This is great. Uh, We are we are introduced to a a group of kids, and they remind me of the Power Pack. Do you remember that old comic, Power Pack? That sounds familiar. I don't. I can't. It was a Marvel comic from the '80s that was about kids with superpowers. And uh, while these kids don't have superpowers, just the way they interacted and the way they they carry themselves reminds me of the way that the Power Pack were. They're about the same age as power pack kids are annoying i don't find these kids annoying no they're they're written they're, really well yeah i, I actually i i like them a lot as characters yeah. and I, I i do care about them usually when they're argue, like they're argumentative and they make fun of each other usually i find that stuff not i'm not into reading that kind of stuff but these four i actually liked it yeah they're at, they're playing at a train yard and they see the protector bots. The protector bots are cutting through the train yard with Blaster, their prisoner, in tow. And I guess the Combaticons find out that they are there. And so the Combaticons and the protector bots end up having this huge fight in this train yard where the kids who were playing happen to be. And Blaster, who's been hidden in cassette mode, he's got a little like a, a power dampener or something on him so he can't transform. But he communicates with the kids and ends up protecting them from uh from from the war so and i like that too just to remind us you know even though he's been arrested and is facing death he's still going to do what he thinks is right yeah he's still a noble autobot a noble character he still cares for these kids even though he doesn't know them at all and even though there's a much bigger stuff going on combiners were the rage Okay, so my issue here is that we have, and I think I may have mentioned this in one of the past episodes as well. We have Bruticus versus Defensor. Uh, yeah, versus Defensor. You would think that a battle that is the two two huge huge robots, even bigger than the regular Transformers, who are already like massive, should be really really cool to look at. But this fight really falls flat and i think it's because we don't really get a good sense of just the how scale. gigantic they are yeah like they you we see them thrown around trains and that kind of thing but it still looks like they're just regular size transformers yeah once again kurt scale yep it, that, and that's <laughs> the whole thing and it would be you know if they just 
moved the camera down so that we were getting more worm's eye view kind of shots, yeah, yeah, then yeah. that would help. Uh, Don Perlin doesn't seem to do a whole lot of those kind of shots. So when there's a couple of them, like, uh, well, it's not the guest stalls though. It's like two thirty-two. You see the blaster transform in front of the kids, and you see how big he is compared to the kids. But that's blaster. That's blaster exactly. You don't this see. Is... You don't get to see the combiners how big they are compared to blaster. I mean, you have one shot sort of on page two thirty-five where Bruticus is walking up towards blaster. So you kind of have a But even still, sense. like he's on a cliff and he's off in the, one of them's off in the distance. You, you, it's not the same. It's, no, I know what you're saying. A, yeah, yeah. It's not exactly, yeah, it's not great. Anyway, they manage to defeat Bruticus and Blaster saves the kids. And <laughs> this, is the, this is the weirdest part here. Yeah. I mentioned this earlier. They say, um, this is a real spaceship. They're pointing to one of the, one of the Combaticons. Yeah. And they put the power dampener on him. And he's like, they're like, wow, we wish we could take a ride in the ship. And Blaster says, and I don't know why he says this, because it doesn't make sense. He says, after what you've done, I suppose it's the least I could do to repay you. The Protecticons let him go, and they fly Blast off around. It's like... Into outer space. I never knew. See, like I said, I have the issue after. I'm like, why are these four kids in a Decepticon yeah. with Blaster? And why is the Decepticon not trying to kill him? So it was nice to be able to read this to find out what led yeah. to that. The other thing, yeah, it's still kind of lame how it ended yeah. up being like, and like Just to get the kids into space. And like, I appreciate the next issue because the kids are faced with some really serious stuff here. But but just the, the way that they got them there is kind of hokey. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that this issue... Grimlock finally repairs the Ark, and they blast off, and it's not a big deal. Like, this should have been, like, the biggest deal in the world. You see how brilliant Grimlock is? He is a fantastic leader. He He did what Optimus couldn't do and (laughs) fixed the Ark. Yeah, he got him into space. And I, honestly, I didn't even know that, like, at the very end in the climax of of this issue, where the kids are being fired upon by this massive ship, I didn't clue in that that was the Ark. Oh, it was just I didn't think that this was very good storytelling. Well, it says it's the Ark. It says it, but I didn't clue in until it had to be spelled out for me. Mm. Um, next issue. This is the one I owned. Uh, what are we doing? We're doing a new Transformer. We have Skylinks. Skylinks. I believe he was the same company. So remember, all the Transformers are from various robot manufacturers in Japan, all put into one banner now. Skylinks is from the same company that I believe made Omega Supreme and Trypticon. He's, uh, that makes sense because he looks like his design kind of reminds me of Trypticon. Yeah. And I, that's why I mentioned him earlier when we were talking about Trypticon. Yeah. Um, he turns into a space shuttle, 1980s style, and he... In this version, uh, in the comics version, he's old friends with Wheeljack, and Wheeljack has sent Skylinks to go find Blaster uh, before Grimlock manages to get his hands on Blaster. Grimlock has branded uh, Blaster a traitor and wants his head um, and is ruling the Autobots with an iron fist, and he's got them in the Ark flying around. I don't remember them saying where they were planning on going. They were just flying around. Did they say they were going back to Cybertron? Ah, that's a good question. I don't really know. They just have the Ark flying in the air. I don't really know what they were planning on doing. Surely they were going back to Cybertron, but then they saw a Decepticon. Um, oh, no, no, no. I know what they were doing. Um, they Wheeljack was tracing. They were tracing Blaster's signal because they were still trying to get Blaster. And when Grimlock found out that Blaster was 
had evaded the protector bots. They went after them. And so they got the arc up and running. Just to get Blaster? Yeah. So let's see. Go back to... And that's explained in, in this issue because it starts kind of a flashback, right? Oh, okay. Grimlock says, uh, uh, Wheeljack, why the delay? The signal, of, uh, the signal of the mode lock that I'm tracking is very weak and hard to follow, Commander Grimlock. Space is a very big place. So they are looking for Blaster. And then they see the Decepticon space shuttle and they start firing upon it. <laughs> so this is the first issue with a new artist. Don Perlin is gone, and we have a new guy, Jose Delbo. And I have a clip of Bob Budiansky talking about Jose that I want to play for you here. One of the artists that you worked with for a good portion of your run was Jose Delbo. I don't really know much about Jose at all. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about him. What's, what's he like? What does he like to work with? Okay, so I don't think Jose's forgiven me yet. Uh-oh. Uh, I do, no, I'm re- also not aware of any of this history. No, Jose's great. We still exchange cards every Christmas. Nice. <laughs> and occasionally, occasionally I see him at conventions. He's a wonderful human being, and he's extremely talented. Uh, but what I, was, what I was joking about was, you know, Jose is, a, like so many artists of his generation and my generation. I'm a little younger than Jose, but I'm not that young. Um, you know, we grew up... Uh, drawing people <laughs> heroic looking men and beautiful yeah. women and right. so on and jose was no different in fact jose had a long run before he came to marvel he had a long run drawing wonder woman for dc comics yeah. so he drew beautiful strong amazon women but when you come to draw transformers you're mainly drawing a lot of robots right tons of reference material which is you know out of jose's comfort zone and, and jose's not the only one i mean I, I worked with people like frank springer and don perlin and if they were honest, I'm sure none of them would say their first choice was to draw robots. Yeah. Because it's a lot of work. You have to deal with a lot of reference material, and it's not what they naturally are attuned to drawing. They're, to, they're, they're trained to draw people in, in, in dynamic ways, in dynamic, interesting ways. So uh, Jose, I think he had the longest run of everybody I worked with on Transformers. But he was heroic in the effort he put into it. Because I would, every time I wrote a plot, you know, I, I think you might be aware of the way the Marvel method of writing stories was to write a plot first, which is like a short story. It goes to the pencil artist, then it comes back to the uh, writer, and then the writer scripts it based, based on what the pencil artist has drawn. Right. So I would write a plot, and when I gave it to an artist like Jose, I, the first thing I would do, I would list all the different robots, all the different Transformers, I should say, that he had to draw. So there might be <laughs> you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 different Transformers, so right away you'd have to go through his pile of reference materials which were these model sheets I, I mentioned earlier, yeah. and you know, put them aside by his drawing table and have them at hand to refer to anytime he needed it. So anyway, uh, you know, but Jose was great. Like any, any, anything I gave him, he was up to the challenge. He, he, uh, he was wonderful to work with, really happy, positive human being. I can't say enough positive things about Jose. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can uh, talk to him sometime about his work on that too. Um, yeah, he'll... He'll, he'll be cursing me. I'm giving you a advantage. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I, mean, we, we, I saw him a few years ago at a convention in London, and we, we hung out together and yeah. went to dinner. And he had a great time. Oh, good. Uh, great guy. So in the- one of the defining things that I think really, really differentiates Jose from any of the other Transformers artists that we've seen so far is that he breaks down his pages to far more panels than Don Perlin did, or than people usually do. Don Perlin typically sticks to maybe six to eight panels per page. 
but Jose Delbo will break his his pages up to like 10 to 12 panels very often. Uh, and especially once you get to like the last few, the last issue here, there's a lot of panels in these those last pages oh, of the yeah. last issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what that does is it means that he can convey more sequences of action in in a smaller space, which means that Bob doesn't have to put as many words on the page. Because when you only have six panels on a page, sometimes the writer will have to put in caption boxes to explain what's happening from panel to panel because it's not always clear. If you break down your page into more panels and you're able to show more of the flow of action, then the writer doesn't have well, that, to actually Well, that's like, that's like the much. medium of, of film versus book, right? Like yep. You got to tell stories through visual storytelling in a film. Yes. And so Jose Delbo is actually really good at this. I, I quite enjoy his art. I think he is a very strong storyteller. And these next three issues that he does are other than the Man of Iron story, are my favorite in this book, I think. Mm, mm. The Autobots on, to, on board the Ark are chasing after Blastoff, which has the four kids and Blaster in it from the last issue. Blaster um, and Blastoff? Yes. That's, <laughs> uh, so uh, Skylinks comes to rescue, uh, do a rescue. Blaster escapes. The kids uh, jump out of the ship. And uh, Skylinks manages to rescue the kids. And Blaster commandeers a satellite. And they're trying to get away from the from the Autobots from the Ark. The Dinobots jump out of the Ark to uh, give pursuit. I love that the Dinobots are fighting in space, but they're not equipped for no. space fighting. They're just kind of just floating there. And uh, their plan is that uh, they can't get Blaster, but they know if they get the kids, then Blaster, being the good guy that he is, is going to come rescue the kids. Yep. And since Skylinks has the kids inside of him, the Dinobots chase Skylinks, and they eventually corner him. Um, and then Blaster predictably surrenders. So not before though he bumps into all of his old comrades, the other Autobots, and they all say, "We would love you to be leader." Yeah, and Grimlock is just out of control in this one. He's yeah. just—he's a man on a mission. Like he took the entire Arctic chase down Blaster. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, not a good leader. Not a good leader. So I'm happy that uh, that they were able to to sort of. I mean, they haven't put Grimlock in his place yet, but they're, they're starting to realize that this guy's not good. We need to do something about this. And that's the... They leave it on a cliffhanger, and then we don't revisit this storyline yeah. at all for the rest of this volume. Uh, the next few issues deal with other Autobots completely. I was surprised. And in fact, it's kind of cool no, that we have cool. so much going on. Because I remember reading this, I'm like, what happens next? And not knowing. Yeah. Next issue... We go back to Goldbug and the Throttlebots. Now, when Blaster was captured by the Protectobots, Rat had taken Bumble, uh, sorry, Goldbug and the Throttlebots had actually captured them. And they're in Rat headquarters now. And this issue is the Predacons, I guess, going to go hunt down the Throttlebots to take them out. And is it Walter? Yep. Uh, Walter Barnett. I think he realizes the error of his ways and wants to help the Throttlebots escape Rat headquarters. Um, but the only way to get them out is to take their brains and to put them inside remote-controlled cars, very similar to what his son owns. That's where he got the idea from. Takes their brains, puts them inside model cars, and leaves Rat headquarters with the model cars uh, to save the, the Autobots, the Throttlebots. Yeah. 
and everyone thinks the throttle bars are dead because their their bodies are turned to cubes in this uh, in this machine. Um, and then the issue ends up being a chase. The Predacons trying to they realize that it is the remote control cars that have the minds of the Autobots, uh, the, the throttle bots in them, and they end up chasing them into a mall. I believe was it a mall? Oh yeah. It's 1980s, so yeah. we're going to have a battle in a mall. Buster shows up again. Buster saves Goldbug. Well, the remote control car that has Goldbug's mind in it. Why was Buster even there? Anyway. Buster's there because... Oh, that's right. Because uh, Goldbug, only, he, the only human he knows and can trust is Buster. Buster. So he goes to Buster and Sparkplug. Yeah, he tells Walter to contact Buster. Yeah. That's what it was. And then the Predacons completely destroy Buster's garage. Like, that's a, this is a big deal. This was, this was a good issue, too. I really liked the, the, the execution scene because it's like, wow, they're, they actually crushed... Like, can you imagine if you were an Autobot seeing a live execution of your own species <laughs> on TV or something like that? Like, some of these guys were watching that. It's pretty brutal, even though the minds of them were not in in the thing. And that, I mean, you can get away with a whole lot more with robots than you can with humans with the comic code. There's also the first mention of a brand new character, Spike. Yes. Yeah. His brother, his, we've never heard of ever before. Ever, never, ever. So it's coming back from college. I'm gonna put a little clip in here from Bob talking about the difference between Buster, Spike, all of that. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Jim Shooter wrote the treatment for Transformers. Yeah, and so he created the Witwicky family, uh, Buster and his father Sparkplug Witwicky. But initially, Buster's name was Spike in okay. the initial treatment. So if you actually saw a copy of the treatment, which I have you would see it's written as Spike with my handwriting crossing out Spike and on top of Spike it says Buster. <laughs> okay. Wasn't my idea, but somebody at Hasbro did not like the name Spike. So that message got transferred to Jim Shooter. That got transferred to me. And so Buster's name uh, replaced Spike's name. Now, while we're doing all this material, while we're creating all this material at, at the Marvel office, it's going to Hasbro and Hasbro then is resending it to Sunbow Productions, and they do the animation. Um, we're out of the loop. You know, Once it goes to Hasbro's offices, we don't know what happens to it. So at some point early on, there must have been an unedited version of the treatment that still had Spike's name in it that made it to Sunbow. And that's why Spike is Spike in the, in the animation, and that's why he's Buster in the comic book. So Buster rescues Goldbug. Uh, meanwhile, Walter, I think he says he's going to get the other throttle bots, but we never see them again. Yeah. Uh, come on, Buster, forget the batteries. I'll help the Autobots. You take the pickup and clear out of here. So Walter says he's going to go get the other Autobots that are zipping away in the mall. But that's the last we hear of Walter or the other throttle bots. We see Buster get away with Goldbug, but then Ratbat shows up and destroys Goldbug. And then I'm like, what? Oh, <laughs> Did they yeah. just kill Goldbug? Because he grab grabs the little remote control car that has Goldbug's brain in it yep. and crushes it to smithereens. And we know that uh, like the, the remote control cars need batteries to keep their brains alive. So I'm seeing Rabat crush the car. I'm like, did they just kill Goldbug? The very end of this issue, we have Goldbug sending a distress call into space to try and get some help. And this is the same distress call that we see at the end of the Headmasters miniseries, mm -hmm. which, which uh, if 
hopefully you've read that miniseries like we told you to. Um, and it ties so nicely together with what's going on here. Uh, so that brings us, yeah, that brings us to the next issue, which is bringing the Headmasters uh, to the planet Earth. It's called Trial by Fire, issue number 38. This is uh, an issue I owned as a kid. Um, this is the first time, see, I knew who these characters were because of the toys and because of advertising. So I knew who Fort Mat- Fortress Maximus was because he was the biggest Transformer ever made. Um, this is the first time I saw him in comic book form. Uh, I had the Headmaster issue. Nope, I take it back. I did read one of the issues, one or two issues of Headmaster before I read this one. So I did have a sense of him already. Okay. Okay. Um, the, uh, we get some exposition from, uh, from Galen, from Galen talking about what has happened, why they are coming to earth. So, yeah, like I said, if you haven't read the headmasters, you don't necessarily need to have, unless you want to have this be deeper and better than it, it would be otherwise. The, the explanation that Galen gives is so simplified because there's actually a lot of no, no, it is. Absolutely. No, no, for sure. I'm just saying that like, you, don't, you don't necessarily need to, but... I guess not. Right. It's, I mean, as much as anything else. I mean, like we said before, these issues are more or less self-contained. So you can always jump into it. And of course, you'll be lost a bit, but you, 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 you find your feet pretty soon. Yeah. Right. But you, to get the full, the full experience, you definitely should read the Headmasters first. So the, the Headmasters, yeah. uh, they now show up on Earth. Um, sorry, they're on their way to Earth. They get they pick up Goldbug's distress signal. Oh, and by the way, I, I had mentioned this uh, during the Headmasters miniseries. This comic starts with them rebuilding Fortress Maximus, and now he is very large, and he is now a double headmaster. So Galen can turn into the head of Cerebros, which is a, a headmaster who, in turn, Cerebros turns into the head of Fortress Maximus. So Cerebros is a head, and his alt form is another head. Galen is Cerebros's head. Yeah. And Cerebros is Fortress Max. Also, Cerebros is a robot. Yes. Who turns into a head. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got it. So double headmaster. Really cool idea at the time. Um, Spike makes his first appearance in the comics. Yep. And he is really blonde. Yeah. <laughs> he yep. looks like Buster. He looks. He definitely in looks fact, like Buster. In fact, if he... I was confused because I thought it was Buster at the very beginning yeah. until they mentioned, oh, it's actually Spike. Sparkplug tells Spike that uh, his brother has gone into the mountains. And so Spike goes and goes and finds not the Ark, but the cave where the Ark was and finds a lot of the Transformers machinery and finds the toy car, which is actually Goldbug, and uh, is poking around. The headmasters show up and start exploring this exact same cave, trying to find the location of the distress signal they found. They, they, they find the broken remote control car which spike had tossed and they connect them up and they find out oh it's actually gold bug and he tells them the situation um and so spike reveals himself and asks for their aid and the uh fortress maximus turns into cerebros who turns into galen and is not the Galen that I recognize. He's he's been hardened by war. <laughs> he was such an upbeat, positive guy before, but now he's like, "This is not my problem. You're you're missing brother. That's not my problem." And even his uh, his teammates mentioned that as well. Like he used to be a man of peace. Uh, why 
is he engaging in war? Why is he rebuilding Fortress Maximus to be so heavily armed or whatever? Yeah. Um, and so their mission is to find and aid Autobots, not humans. So sorry, Spike, you're on your own on this one. Scorponok and his band of merry men, they show up uh, and they end up engaging with the Autobots, sorry, the Headmasters. So the, the Autobot Headmasters fight the Decepticon Headmasters and it's I, I actually really enjoyed this fight. We have a, a two-page spread. Yeah. Which is very unusual for, we haven't, I don't know that we've seen that really in, I think we've seen it once we've or twice it maybe. Before. But it doesn't happen very often, not like these days. Uh, so we have a, yeah, it's Jose Delbo's first double-page spread though. And then if you look at the last few pages of this book, there are so many panels. So what page is, what page is this? Uh, this is page two, 306. 306. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve panels on one page. He's cramming a lot. This could have been a double-sized issue if he had used the same number of panels but spread it over twice as many pages. They could have been big panels. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. I, 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 I loved... Uh, some of the imagery in here I remember from since I was a kid, especially the last panel of 306. Because what happens is uh, Spike is in danger. Scorponok is about to kill. Is, I guess he's trying to kill Spike. And because Fortress Maximus, the rebuilt Fortress Maximus is so big, he's not able to pursue in this narrow cavern. And it's very unstable. So he ends up knocking off his head, turning his head into Cerebros. And Cerebros, in the last panel of 306, throws his head to rescue Spike. And... Uh, Cerebros' head turns into uh, Galen and uh, manages to get into a fight with Zarek and uh, in the process of fighting Zarek gets buried by rubble in the volcano and he ends up helping Spike in the end he knows he's going to die and so he's pinned under these rocks he gives Spike his helmet and with his helmet Spike is now in control of Fortress Maximus and Spike ends up being ends up replacing Galen so that's even worse than the Autobots choosing Grimlock because these guys know zero about yeah, I, Spike. I did not. Now I don't like it. <laughs> At the time, in the American cartoon, it was Spike who actually built Fortress Maximus ah. in the American continuity. So they're trying to, they're trying to make things at least somewhat, somewhat similar, similar maybe to the TV show. I got to go look it up because I don't even remember if you bought the toy, if it came with Galen or Spike. I'm pretty sure Spike came in Fortress Maximus. Yeah. I had to double check that. Hmm. But uh, yeah, and that's how it ends. So right now we've got, we've got the Transformers, the Headmasters who are now on Earth. You've got the Autobots. The original Earthbound Autobots are in the Ark flying around somewhere. Um and then you've got the Throttlebots who are MIA. I have no idea where the Throttlebots are. And that's where we are right now. And actually, yeah. now that I'm thinking about it, where the heck are all the Decepticons? Right. We haven't even... And, and Shockwave was the leader of the Decepticons at the beginning, but he takes a back seat and Rat it's Bat's basically Rat Bat. really I haven't everything. seen Shockwave for a while now. Yeah. So this is, these are all the storylines that are leading up to, um, a, leading up to issue number 50. So there's a lot of stuff that's kind of building up here. And uh, Volume 4 should be pretty fun, I think. Volume 4 is traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, the, these are still good. I'm still enjoying these. 
So a while back, uh, Curtis actually got me some of the UK volumes. So we we talk about the the four issues in the that were reprinted here. Um, I read further on, and I won't go into too much detail now. That'll be for a later time. But I got to say the UK stuff. I'm excited about doing the UK stuff if we ever yeah, get a chance to. Cause totally. Very different storytelling, and a lot of it shows up in the later American issues. And I remember loving those. And now I get to see the origin of where that comes from. So that's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, I think while this volume maybe wasn't as strong as volume two, it still had some good stuff in it. The headmaster's issue was good. The the scrapless issue was, I think, the fan. Sorry, it was fantastic. And the UK stuff, oh, that yeah. first exposure, that is the UK stuff in this volume is probably the highlight for me of this. Oh, volume. absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's head over tails. It's the best stuff in this in this volume and that's not knocking that's not knocking the uh the american stuff i think it's partly also a refreshing take on it i think because we're used to the story we're used to how these stories are structured and you know just seeing it from a different perspective was very refreshing yeah absolutely uh and like you said it makes me really excited to read more uk stuff because if this is any indication like it's going to be well it ends up melding and that's why i love like the the early stuff of Transformers, I, I, you know how much I love Volume Two with when when we do the Return to Cybertron. I love that storyline. Yep. There's some other good storylines that show up later on, but right around towards the end of the series, it bookends it. The 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 my favorite stuff is the beginning of the series and near the end of the series, and that stuff near the end, because I know it's influenced heavily by the UK stuff and it's all kind of tied together like that. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's a lot of good stuff. Well, I think that does it for our episode, though. Uh, yeah. We made it through this. It's a little bit on the long side. I'm going to see if I can pare it down a little bit in editing, but that's okay. Next time you are on the show, probably be around Christmas, maybe even during winter break, and we will be talking about Volume 4. We'll just plow right along to the next volume. So looking forward to that. Make sure you have a box of tissues ready for that one. Okay. It comes up. I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We'll see everybody in the next episode. See you later. Bye, guys. Bye.